three, two, one. And welcome back to season two, episode three of the Bottomless Podcast. That is spelled B-T-T-M-L-E-S-S. We only took out one of the vowels. And I'll go ahead with introductions. My name is Kevin. And then we actually have the two people, the beautiful people I'm normally joined by, but then an additional beautiful face. So we'll go with the two people that I'm always joined by, and then we'll do the introduction of the fourth person. But I'm Kevin, and these other- I'm, Les- I'm Leslie. And I'm Vincent. Thank you for joining us. And it's our first ever time having a guest. So why don't you introduce yourself? On our Yellow show. Cloud. <laughs> yes, I, I named myself Yellow Cloud because Kevin knows me as Chief Yellow Cloud. So- um, but yeah, David Choi, and when Kevin and I in another life worked together, I always called him MCDB, which is an acronym, but it's confidential, so I can't explain what that means. And he would call me Chief Yellow Cloud. Wait, let me just get the letter. I can probably figure it out by the end of the episode. MCDB. You'll never, you'll never figure it out. It's, I can't um, think of anything appropriate. It's, it's Mike Charlie Delta Bravo, but yeah, you'll, ne- you'll never figure uh, it out. You'll never figure it out. Um, and yeah, we're, we're, we're three friends and we're joined by a mutual friend that we all know from a past life. Uh, I live or I reside currently in Florida. Leslie resides in Hawaii. Vince resides in Los Angeles, California. And I'll let David decide whether he wants to disclose his whereabouts. I wouldn't if I were him. Um, but David, uh, you can give a general vicinity, south, southeast, north. Ordinance. Is it a secret? No, but I just don't want to. I wouldn't just disclose. Oh. Check out the description for his exact mailing address. We'll, we'll go with um, Sand Hills. Sand Hills. Sand Hills of an undisclosed location. There we go. There we go. Yeah. And so we're three friends joined by a mutual friend who are just doing podcasts on topics we find interesting to us. Um, so the ho- former friend, former mentor. So if you want to know why I'm so fucked up in the head, David is partly responsible. Wait, 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 just wait, kidding. Just kidding. David was <laughs> my mentor. You, you had no, you had not enough. Vince, you rejected me. You had an opportunity to be mentored by me. And you, you rejected me. And it was an informal mentorship. You and then another mentor of ours, Aubrey, I feel like consistently were, at least in my mind, the two biggest influences of the internship that Kevin and I were a part of. So both of you share blame. Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. Um, yeah, so to hop right into it, um, everyone gather your earliest memory of something like fitness related. So it could be like an awkward, it, it doesn't have to be awkward. I know I, I know I said awkward initially. It doesn't have to be awkward. It can be your earliest memorable involvement experience of something fitness related. So it could be a dance class. It could be like a gym class. It could be I went and tried a yoga thing. It could be I went and ran a mile and didn't know what running was and almost died, like regretted everything. It could How be a cross. not know what running is? Like, imagine you never ran and your friend's like, I'm going to go run for like a marathon practice. And like, you never ran in your life. And you're like, two, two laps in and you're like, what? Yeah, childhood were you having, Kevin, that there was a first time you remember running? I, I've seen some people run that I think they didn't know. I, actually, I met someone. I, I have met someone who didn't know what running was. That's How old were they? Uh, teenager and gamer. I'll just. Oh, okay, okay. Teenager and gamer. Respect to our gamer community. Yeah, no, nothing interesting. About, but he like that's that's the only world he knew. So he didn't know um, mm. what physical exertion was. 
Yeah, so I'll 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 go first. My I think my first, and then you guys can gather like so. I give you time to gather. It doesn't have to be awkward, it can be memorable, it could be exciting, it can be whatever. Just for a most memorable or earliest memorable or just memorable fitness experience. Um, Wait, I was, so it has to be forgettable or memorable? No, memorable, like so. Of course, like oh. you're you're drawing like oh, I really remember that time. Um, <laughs> That's a joke. <laughs> so, so I was eleven in middle school, sixth grade. I had a friend who was. Um, who was high school freshman and he was on the wrestling team, really good wrestler. And he invited me to wrestling practice because he wanted, he, we, the anticipation was you'll eventually get to my high school and I want you to try for the wrestling team. So if you just come and hang out and do the practices with us now, you'll be conditioned. You'll kind of just, they'll know you, the coach will know you, your face will be familiar and you'll just kind of be familiar with how we do practices. So was this at John Griffin Middle School in Fayetteville, North Carolina? That's crazy. No, because John Griffin, I went for seventh, eighth grade. It was Seoul American Middle School in Seoul, Korea. Um, oh. on Yongsan Army Base. Oh, that totally changes the whole story. Oh. I'm glad oh. I asked. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. so I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah let's go. And I, I, to this point, the most I'd ever done physical fitness or exercise-wise was just running around the neighborhood of Hanum Village in Seoul, Korea with my friends. Like, never done anything. Running more than, like, even, like, a, maybe we didn't run in PE class in Korea. So, like, nothing. I'm like, I've, I've never conditioned you my You didn't play, like, like, sports or games or anything? So... I go to the. I Sounds go to, a little racist. I don't know about this portrayal of Korea, Kevin. No, like I don't know. Because usually, <laughs> when I got to John Griffin Middle School in Fayetteville, North Carolina, the one of the um, exams was like you have to run a mile within a certain time. Up to this point, um, Seoul American, like elementary and middle, like at Seoul American Elementary, which I was there for fifth grade and then sixth grade, Seoul American Middle. We didn't like we didn't we did PT, but there was no like run a mile. There wasn't like it wasn't a serious regimen of like at least a mile. It was like goof around the the gym. We're gonna play dodgeball, like this simple, like I don't want to stress you kids out. So this is the first time of like, this is a wrestling team. They're the push, I mean, like three, four, five rounds of 50 push-ups, three, four, five rounds of like uh un, and like endurance till you fail sit-ups. So I go in there, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, you're typical, like, I don't care if you're if you're like built slender, so you're an endurance, you're built, your body's built like endurance athlete. If you've never had introduction, like however you're built, your first time going into a freshman wrestling practice and like I mean the pressure of you're around a bunch of like high schoolers you want to look cool and then like just the male ego of like yeah I could do push-ups and then like the pressure of like the coach is watching over you and your friend invited you and then he brought me and my other friend who was in sixth grade my other friend was like killing it because like he had older brothers who kind of like got him into so I'm just there like I mean, anyone who's never ran before and ran for the first time, that excruciating pain when your body is like pleading with you on the verge of a threshold, like I need to stop, we can't keep doing this. And then that combating with your ego and your inner voice, like of shame and accountability and expectation of others around you. So like extremely painful, extremely exhilarating, extremely uncomfortable. And then like the first time in my life where I woke up the next morning, and anyone who's like done core, core exercise for the first time knows this feeling. We're like, you're in bed and you go to like sit up, you go to like whatever, and you can't sit up. Your body can't contract because like it's cramped. And like that uncomfortable feeling of like you're walking, you're just walking from your car to the grocery store and your legs don't have full range of motion. Your butt cheeks are on fire. Your core is like, so that, <laughs> that was the first introduction into fitness of like, oh, like the whole muscles, I, I didn't know that were there. And like the, the, the relatable can't get, I can't sit up out of bed. I have to roll and like throw my legs into the floor and like crawl up. So that was my first most memorable uh, experience with fitness. Wow. Well, 
not this again not today satan <laughs> i'll go first uh, david our last episode vincent and i kept stepping over each other's words or sorry i'll go second okay so <laughs> my first memory of fitness was actually a field day we all had field days right in elementary school yeah oh, seriously like the best like i loved field days and i remember all the smells like the grass always smelled so good and it was always like in the spring or like toward the summertime so you were excited about summer break and what i remember is we like lined up and i think i happened to be the only girl who was like in the lineup for the race and i just remembered my little mind being like i have to win and i just remember like running so hard and like having that little explosion that you get when you're like pushing yourself and i did win and that was my first taste of the glory of physical exertion <laughs> i love that. nice and simple <laughs> i love that Vince, you waiting for me? Vince, thinking, my memories are not good. <laughs> Vince, I'm, Vince, Vince, I'm like, honestly, with you, I anticipated like first dance class or like just a great dance class or like something uh, that was like, like. I wish that was the case because I started dancing later and I started seriously dancing even later than that, like literally college. My first memories are all ratchet, which is why they're so imprinted in my brain. But I think also, which is surprising now because I'm not particularly active, but I grew up kind of playing sports like out of obligation and without enjoying it but my first memories are all like playing pickup basketball and then having my bike stolen <laughs> i remember running laps at elementary school and then some reason i got into a fight and some kid punched me and i was already out of breath <laughs> and then the only other memory i have is going to my one year stint at a christian school before i begged my parents to take me out is the gym there those locker rooms were savage so i saw many a uh, christian fight in those locker rooms so those are all my early memories of physical activity um but i mean i now that leslie brought up relay race i do remember faint memories of elementary school relay races and like tie-dye shirts and like the whole school being out there teamed up which is a much more pleasant memory than the ones that surfaced first <laughs> love it respectable good times D david as you or before you answer i just want you to know the people who we do this podcast for they see us every week so one thing particular that i want out of this podcast is more if it's natural and comfortable for you, I want more voice time. I want more words. I want more like input from you. So don't feel like you have to balance out like expectation to balance with us. Like I, I, I really want, I think us, the other two here really want to get a lot of value and information and, and FaceTime from you specifically. So please like overgive, overshare over like over. I kind of want to make us off. Point. I want to make you the focal point of this. So, but yeah, David first, I think I got punched. Uh, I got, I got punched like hammer hit on the back um in third grade on the soccer field as because I didn't know any rules about soccer so it was like a it was probably I don't know like a penalty kick or something or like all I know is like you run really fast and try to get the ball I, I remember or I was in second grade and a, and a third grader hit me and when I was in second grade the third graders I, re, I, I remember hearing about the third grade class when I was in second grade and then seeing them walk through the hallways. And I can remember like my little mind as a second grader thinking, those guys are giants. They were so big, but yeah, a guy was like, I, he was gonna kick the ball 
and everyone like kind of backed away and they were like watching him and i and i remember thinking like why is everyone just watching him so so i ran at the ball and i tried to steal it and this this kid he was like known for kind of if the third grade had a bully he was kind of the bully and he got so angry and he ran over to me and went like this onto my like somehow he did on my back and i remember like it made me like bend over i was like <gasps> and and then he realized like oh i overreacted i'm gonna get in trouble and so he was he was just so, like so apologetic and i remember thinking i had to convince everyone that i was okay and it was okay so I was like, it's okay it's okay i'm okay it's okay oh <laughs> that wasn't really like i didn't think of any of that as as uh fitness we were just we we're just playing um my, my dad used to take me outside when, at least when I was 10 and we'd go out and do, I, I think it was like three sets, 10 pull-ups and 10 push-ups. And- um, My dad did I, that with us too. I can imagine your dad did that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't like it. I didn't hate it, but it was always like, I, I didn't really want to do it. I don't know how, like, did you guys enjoy doing it, Leslie? Or was we did it like, not uh, enjoy it. You, you were required to? Yes. Okay, so I wasn't- Did it he wasn't just do like, it with you or was it like by the time he got to the younger choice? So David is one of, there's eight, right? Eight. Yeah. So by the time, was it like you and Sarah got the brunt of his fitness enthusiasm and then it tapered off or? Well, I think there was a gap. I think it was it was like him and me would go out and do push-ups and pull-ups. And then he kind of like backed away and he got into cycling and did his stuff and the other kids did their own thing. And now Michael, the baby in the family, who's 14, he'll go out and they'll do pull-ups and like bicep curls together. And yeah. But yeah, that was the first time, that was the first time I knew of something that was like an activity that you could call exercise. And that it was like something you're supposed to do to make your body better, but it wasn't that fun. Like that was, that was my first concept of something like that. Okay. That's amazing. I'm so glad my dad didn't. Um, so let's take a, let's take an unexpected turn here. What Uh has, uh, what has like fitness taught you guys about like community and relationship and like how you interact with the world and the, by the world, I mean like people, like how you relate to other people, how you relate to a team, how you relate to team effort, teamwork. Um, yeah, like what's all encompassing of like how fitness has helped you to understand of like whether in a sport, not a sport, in something physical activity related or not working towards a goal specifically with a group of people or even just the consequence of like community building and bonding with people as a con like as a consequence of we were working towards that goal and it just will happen. Like what has fitness and and yeah, exercise taught you about community and relationship. Well, maybe we should give also, and David should start, I think, like primers on what even, because we're all at very different levels, which I think they're being an obvious top dog here as far as fitness, (laughs) which is why you got in Hold on, who's the top dog? You are obviously the top dog, I think. Okay, well, I don't know if it's obvious because I consider I brought Kevin into fitness and I can take Kevin out of fitness. <laughs> oh, oh that's afraid. why we call you the top dog. Okay, but I'm afraid that Kevin's over there being Kevin and acting like, no, I'm, I'm the top dog now. No, 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 no. Fair oh. enough to assume that 
He did say he wanted to bring you on because he wanted to make sure everyone, you and the listeners understood that he could outwork out you yeah, yeah. at any uh, point in time. No. He said he wants all the smoke. Please, please believe I have taunted, I have attempted to taunt David in, in fitness environments. And my attempts were like throwing rocks at the sun. Like I, I it took, it took all of, it took all of 15 seconds for me to like make a taunt and then like, yeah, and, and get embarrassed and get humiliated and understand how many leagues ahead of me David was and still is in turn like it it, it, it was embarrassing. Leagues plural, yes. <laughs> wow. This is a good podcast for me. This is a good a good podcast for my fitness ego. Yeah, David. Like, and and I'll try to like uh, I'll try to like try to point you the direction I think I want you to go and why I came up with that question. You pointed out things about CrossFit, the competitive nature, but like the community element that's present even within competition. Like Froning might be competing against Jason Kalipa directly, but then like finishes his round and will run over while Kalipa is like in the middle of his handstand or like uh, handstand put. And there's just this weird. Fi- so like I, I, I want you, I want you to kind of talk about and go into that element of like maybe what you've learned, what you've discovered, what you admire. Like what has what has fitness all encompassing, whether it's rock climbing, but what has fitness taught you about about community and relationship? Yeah, the CrossFit community is interesting, and uh, I hate using the word CrossFit because like people react to it. But I'm going to use it because that's like Kevin and I have been, have done done fitness How do people react to together. It? How do people in your experience react to it? Um, when I first heard it, I thought only like Delta Force guys did CrossFit. Now that was like a long time ago. That, that was 20, like 2009 is when I first first did CrossFit. And at that time, there weren't really CrossFit gyms. There's one in Fayetteville. And, um, but it was not a popular like group class fitness program. It was, it was for like hardcore people. You had to be covered in tattoos and all the gyms were like blasting death metal music and and the people who like were covered in tattoos and listened to death metal music they did crossfit and i also thought at the time that it was for like only elite sf dudes did crossfit and i, and I was like an athletic guy and i had like pole vaulted in college and i had been like i was fit but i i like was not crossfit fit and um yeah so i, I reacted that way and i think like sometimes People think it's really intense and crazy and you have to be super athletic and fit to do it, which is not true. Um, but also a lot of dumb stuff happens in CrossFit. Just a lot of really, it's it's like what happens when you go on YouTube and you search like personal training and there's some dude with a shirt off and he's got like his mansion behind him. It's like, I'm going to tell you the six foods to eat that will keep you ripped until you're 80. Like, it's just like anyone can be a CrossFit coach because all you need is get the cert but that's all you need to be any sort of personal trainer is just go get the cert. And then you do YouTube videos with your shirt off. And if you have abs, then you can say anything you want to say. And so there's so much, anyways, that's how people react. They, you know, a lot of weird information floating around. Um, but I, I will say that something of despite, here's what I'll say. I'm a believer in groups of people getting together to do stuff, whether it's fitness or whatever. And I'm so much a believer in it that I worked at a CrossFit gym for a long time that we didn't bill ourselves as a CrossFit gym because we didn't believe in the CrossFit model the way a lot of people follow it. We were doing a different model of fitness. Um, 
but CrossFit was a buzzword. So if you offered a CrossFit class, people will pay and show up. So there's nothing um, like uh, duplicitous about it, but we were just like, hey, we're gonna offer the best fitness program we can, but people want CrossFit. So let's off let's say that we offer a CrossFit class. It'll look and feel like CrossFit, but we're gonna do it a different way. Um, so I, I have never been a fan of that, like just the cheap CrossFit model, but I am really a believer in groups getting together to do stuff. So I still, to this day, despite never like working for a gym that wanted to be known as a, as a CrossFit gym and, um, trying to disassociate myself from that. If people ever asked me what I, what I would coach, I would just say, I'm a fitness coach. I do personal training. Um, I still to this day, if people ask me like, hey, how, how can I get started? I'll say, honestly, go find a CrossFit gym because you'll build relationships with a group of people that you look forward to seeing every day. And you're gonna start showing up every single day. And something about the community, since it's not about, something about that community, they, they don't care what you look like or how fit you are. They're like really excited to have someone join the family. And, and that does work. And, and like, I've seen it happen for 10 years. So now I can say that there's a lot of people, it's like, I, I, it, I cringe when I hear what people who are CrossFit coaches say about fitness, because a lot of them don't understand. But the model of getting a group of people to learn how to move better and work hard, that works, that, that works. Um, and it opens up the door to so many things. Like once you get in that community, you like, you find people who are just like you and they're saying like, Hey, I decided to, to try, like, I was drinking too much alcohol. I just decided I'm going to cut out or cut back. Or someone says like, Hey, I decided like, honestly, I, I was, I want to try this new, new diet and see if it works. Or we decided, we decided as a family, we're going to take a walk every, every evening after dinner, instead of watching an extra Netflix episode, like people bump into that stuff and they decide to try it because their friend was trying it. So yeah, long-winded answer, but someone who's not a CrossFit fan and tried to hide from the CrossFit brand because people are going crazy about it and just believes in fitness, I'll still tell people like quietly, like, hey, like, honestly, like, just go go join a CrossFit gym if what you need is to make a radical change because you're not going to make a radical change alone. You need to be in a group of people and that does it. Unless, unless you're Kevin. Kevin does weird stuff where he just decides... I'm going to get up at 3 a.m. every morning, go to the gym and get huge guns. And He's a lone sojourner. Yeah. yeah. But most the streets do call him Big Neck for a reason. <laughs> Wait, but can you give us an overview, David? Because actually, I've never even been totally clear on like what your array of. So like when you say you believe in fitness, what does that mean? And then what's your array of fitness areas besides mm. not CrossFit, CrossFit that you partake in? Um, I, I like training. So some people enjoy the pursuit of a goal and training is like what they have to do to get that goal. But I, I like, for me, it's just fun to train. So, um, some of it is just like, it's what I like to do. It's not, it's not something I'm consciously doing because I'm thinking I need to be really committed to a healthy lifestyle. It's, it's honestly like, I, like I've done a lot of things that are not healthy in my pursuit of training. That's why I've got, I like had three herniated discs in my neck last year. And I'm like, feel like I've broken my back twice. And, um, Kevin, when Kevin and I worked together, I couldn't sit cause I had such extreme back pain. Um, 
so I've done a lot of things that are not healthy for myself because I love to train. But um, yeah, I, I definitely train. I bought like full steam into CrossFit um, for like two years, starting 2009, because I was looking for a way to keep training. I loved like the recreational sports in college. And so when I left college, I thought like, I've got to find a way to do something that's either athletic or competitive or a mix of both. I didn't know what to do. So I tried playing tennis for a while. And I played, tried playing racquetball. Leslie and I used to play ping pong. Uh, That's true. Every no, couple of years. I'm, yeah. <laughs> every couple of years we re-meet at the ping pong table on the Choi's back, you know, little area. In so that, Leslie, you know, next time I go to Hawaii. Yeah, next time you come, like, I guess maybe there won't be a pandemic and we could hang out i guess so yeah yeah <laughs> um uh, so i i tried crossfit i loved it i loved the intensity it felt like athletic and it was kind of competitive so i did that i've done some long cycles of um either just pure strength training um olympic weightlifting and people hear weightlifting i, I don't know if what the means what that means to you all but I think people. I took weightlifting in high school. Really? Fun fact. Was it was it the weightlifting class like working out in the gym or weightlifting like the it was like clean work in, in the snatch? I mean, it was like I think a beginner class. Like you know, it was mostly dudes who were trying to get swole, and then a few girls who had something to prove probably. And <laughs> I was in that group. But yeah, we did like. I don't even remember what it's called now, but I learned how to like, you know, you, you squat the right way and you lift it up and then you go yeah. up. I thought it was really fun. For me, it was more just like fun to see how the body works when you put it through so different fun. challenges. Yeah. But sorry, so you did Olympic weightlifting, which I assume just means at much higher intensity and like. Uh, it's two, it's a sport that has two movements in it. And one is the clean and jerk and one is the snatch. So have you ever seen in the Olympics, sometimes like a really tiny person, they're like pulling a barbell off the ground and catching it in the air like that that's what weightlifting is sometimes people call just like working out in the gym weightlifting but um weightlifting is the clean and jerk and snatch and then like you know lifting weights is just going into the gym lifting weights mm -hmm. so yeah i've done a, a few long cycles like maybe maybe for you know six months to a year at a time just focus on on the olympic lifts on, on weightlifting. And then I did a long, um, a lot of what I learned personally, I learned because I've had two, they were like severe devastating back injuries. And so I, I, as I came off those, um, I did a lot of like body weight style training, but it was kind of, um, there's some, there's just some cool movement based approaches out there that it's not set as simple as sets and reps. It's just like moving and Kind of the gymnastic style movement stuff so i had a lot of fun doing that um and then i've gone back to i've never what i've never done is is plain endurance training i've done like aerobic endurance training that's what like the fitness world might call mixed modal aerobic endurance which means it's like you're doing something to try to increase aerobic endurance but it's not just one modality like running or rowing or swimming it's mixed modality so it's like i want to develop aerobic endurance but it's in a combination of i want to do like some body weight stuff 
it's a lot of people think think of CrossFit when they think of what I'm describing. Mm. What I would call what's what's called like a mixed modality aerobic endurance that can look like the stereotypical image of CrossFit, which is it looks oh man you're like running 400 meters, but then you're coming in and doing a bunch of pull-ups, but then you're like doing a bunch of heavy barbell stuff. So that weird combination, if you do that intentionally, that can be used for aerobic endurance. I, I went too geeky there. No, 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 no. No, no, this is what we want. I'm, we can cut this if we want. I know I'm asking a million questions, but I'm like super genuinely curious. What, have you ever thought through David, like why you so much were like after college, for example, like why you were like, I have to find another way to be like athletic and competitive. Like, what is it actually that you like so much about training? And like the fact that you like training as opposed to working towards some set goal, like, what is it? Uh, this is so, so weird. Um, it happened because, so, okay. So I, I didn't do sports in high school and I always, um, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you guys and I know your background, but I, I always resonate with people who did stuff like either dance or, um, or extreme sports. I thought like the, like any sort of extreme sport, but just stuff when you're using your body in creative ways. Um, I just lo love people who use their bodies in creative and like kind of agile ways. I thought that was really cool. Now, when I was at, for like two or three years, when I was a kid, I did gymnastics. So I got that taste of like how your body can move. Mm. And so like, even in college, I was doing weird stuff. Like I just wanted to climb everything I could climb, um, jump off everything <laughs> I could jump off of. Sorry, I'm just picturing you in class and everyone just turned <laughs> monkey <around>. dance. <laughs> He's just climbing on the ceiling. Dude, you know what? <laughs> I have this. I have this one memory. This is like, like, I, I just remember feeling so embarrassed when this happened. I was in in class and I was wearing flip flops, and that matters in the story. It just makes it funnier. So I'm wearing flip flops. I was in one of the classrooms. It was a big lecture room, so they had the like wrap around um, tables. It was like a long wrap around rows of those of those desks, and I was. Um, I was leaning, I was toward the top of the, of the room. So I'm leaning back in, in a chair and the chair tipped over. And so it was a, this big clunky, I don't even know why they had those. They were like big expensive roller office chairs. Um, so it, I was leaning and the professor was just getting ready to start the lecture and then the chair tipped. And so it like really slowly, awkwardly tipped all the way over so that my back was on the ground, but my feet went up and they got stuck on the desk and I was wearing flip-flops. So like just my little flip-flops were sticking up and everyone turned around because they hear the crashing and there's two pairs of feet stuck. And I couldn't really like get out of the chair because my feet were stuck <laughs> on the desk. So did you actually stay for the class or did you pick up your did things you just and leave like immediately? Because <laughs> I, I was on the ground. I was like, I wonder, like, could I pull my feet off and just like crawl out of the, but I had to like sit up and stand up pick the chair up and it was such a slow drawn out process <laughs> so yeah all I could do is just sit back down and I don't even think the professor said anything I think they're just like you're ridiculous <laughs> okay wait so, so you were, were, but you were, were on the journey of why basically you were like you're always climbing everything you liked seeing like agile oh yeah yeah um yeah, so it was never about because I didn't have a sports like a sports background. Um, I, I wasn't um, 
like the competition wasn't a thing for me and the like I hadn't experienced team sports which I, I wish I had because I would have loved it but I so I just loved like the individual movement and um and then I had a really cool experience my senior year I happened to be on a floor with the track team and they uh some of them saw like like some of my climbing and stuff and they they realized hey you actually have like the type of build and the type of athleticism that works really really well with pole vaulting so you should come try out to pole vault and i kind of knew what it was but um uh not really and i was really intimidated because i i thought of them as i i never walked around thinking i'm an athlete but looking back i was a pretty athletic kid um so I, I tried out and uh, it went really well. And they invited me to stay on the team and train to pole vault. And it was that experience. It was the most fun I'd ever had in my life, training to pole vault. And I still have a memory of our outdoor training days. And it's like, you go outside and it's on the track and the, like you've been in class all day and you, you walk down to the, to the athletic center and the sun's out and it's like big blue skies in Tulsa and it's warm out and like, the feeling of running down and like throwing yourself over the, like, I just thought I like, dude, whatever that feeling is, I want to feel, I want to keep feeling that it was so fun. And it was so much fun that I thought, can I like get a, a second major so that I can, instead of graduating this year, can I stay just so I could do another year of pole vaulting? So I went, I graduated though, and I just missed it so much. I thought whatever that feeling was, it wasn't so much that I needed. Like, I, I didn't think I needed to beat anyone. And I didn't because I walked on the team as a senior. Like, I'm not going to beat anyone. Um, but just the feeling of training for something that's fun and moving your body in kind of an athletic way, it was, I loved it. So I, I actually tried bodybuilding when I got back, like, just like, you know, bro science. What does anyone, all, all you know is like pick up a dumbbell and you're supposed to do curls, right? So I tried that stuff and I was like, this is not fun. This is not the, like, so I was just searching for something and that that's why, that's that's what I was talking about, Leslie, when I said I, I was like looking for that kind of competitive, kind of athletic outlet. Well, that makes sense, yeah. For Leslie and Vince, fitness community, or not even community and not necessarily it, couldn't, it doesn't even have to necessarily be what it directly taught you as a consequence of maybe getting into something in fitness involved, like what you might have learned about relationship, about people, about social dynamics, about community, um, maybe just life lessons you drew from like, like David was kind of saying, like just doing things in groups of people with like that physical or fitness element of it, uh, things you've drawn or learned that you maybe thought like, man, I, I don't know if I would have like drawn this life development about community or relationship or people about myself relating to the world had I not been in this environment that I was in as like, as a result, like something that was like fitness related or physical exercise related, not, not this. All right. I, I'll go. And then no, y'all hasn't talked enough yet. This episode. I've talked. That's true. Much. I'll go after oh, you. Okay. In retrospect, I think I got the most speaking time the past two episodes, despite because you the got the are. least speaking time the entire oh last season. Oh my God. God. Leslie has a point. I'm feeling, I'm feeling ganged up on. Um, what it uh, there's so much when it comes to dance specifically once I went to to school like I really resonate with David talking about like after class like going onto the field because there's like a very visceral memories of me at the it, it was 
always at night. So it wasn't during the day, but like at the end of a long day, maybe having like a night class and then going to like a 9 p.m. rehearsal and then being there for fucking eight hours and then getting out and it's like 4 a.m. Um, and you're like exhausted. It's such, oh, such beautiful memories. Um, and I wish actually that I would have gotten to dance sooner because I never really cared about exercise before. It was something that was more obligatory. And I think had I habitualized being active in the context that I was in in college, I probably would have been more prone to be interested. But what it taught me about community, honestly, so much about like networking, how to build relationships. Um, I think it's a similar thing as uh, working towards a common goal. Um, so we do like group workouts in practice, but really just like rehearsing super long running pieces over and over. And I think what's special about dance to that piece that David mentioned about the creative piece is there, there's not only that layer of working towards a common goal, but in dance, there's an additional layer that uh, really meant a lot and means a lot where you're really via your body and parting yourself into something that's outside of the group, you're producing something. Um, and that element is so, so special. Um, and then on top of that, there's another layer when it comes to like teaching. So not only, you know, maybe, maybe it's like a solo choreography or like a group piece or whatever, but not only are you via your body producing a piece of art, um, but then when you teach it, you're imparting that into others and then also sharing it and seeing where their body, how it internalizes it and then pushes it back out. Um, there's just, it, it's best described to me as like spiritual um, and that, that process of sharing and engaging with people you're around, I've definitely have learned a lot from in ways that I feel like I'm still digesting. Like I'm still learning to appreciate more and more that experience of dance and what it meant to me, what it means to me. Um, and then in a very like consequential sense, like I literally, I have no idea where I literally would be without dance. I don't think I'd be in LA. Um, so just even like the learning to network via dance got me out here so yeah I could do like a whole four-hour podcast on the impact of dancing uh but it, it resonates a lot a lot of very like again visceral memories of just being like we have like rehearsal videos that I'll reference sometimes and it's like us doing a piece and then you just see the last 30 seconds of the video of us literally lying on the floor dying and then me that was when I was in charge of like trying to give directions but also like completely out of breath and like trying to instruct people and it's like Oh, that feeling is so, it's so, uh, ooh, it really, it hits. It, yeah, it's funny you brought up like the idea of the best descriptor being like spirituality in terms of dance. Cause that's definitely kind of where my mind was going as far as like what my intersections with fitness, which I would say dance is the most impactful has to do with um community but also I wouldn't even couch dance under fitness for me like I don't even think of myself as someone who's very interested in fitness not that it can't be I'm saying my approach to it because okay. like I feel like fitness connotes like an investment in the purpose of the exercise being to increase your health and like for me I've just never really been interested in that kind of similar to what David was saying where it's like I really tend to think of it in terms of play like how can I play around in this body that I've been given um yeah like it's like and if it's I can lucky that our type of play tends to be health promoting yes if that's just a happy benefit, like it's not some like... noble decision like, like <laughs> I'm gonna be a healthy person but like it's like I want to play exactly 
so and same with like the competitive aspect like my first more serious intersection with it was playing soccer in middle school and high school and I was like okay I was never great but even that honestly looking back like my best memories were like you accidentally trip or just something that's like oh like it kind of makes you laugh like little or you bump into somebody honestly more than like the thrill of making a goal or something or like the teamwork like a really beautiful like oh we were able to like pass it well and you can see the beauty of like that but like all the winning and all that stuff like I was never and honestly it was a little bit of a lonely atmosphere because a lot of the people doing soccer like just had different types of motivations that I couldn't relate to and I felt like I didn't fit in so like there's that but then it was really when I took my first dance class in high school that I fell in love with like Oh, I can see like, yeah, like, like getting to move around in this body basically. And like recognizing like you have an internal self and then it's in this little container. And like, when you move the container in different ways, it's not only fun to see what the container does, but it affects the internal state and vice versa. And so like getting to sort of see the communication between those two parts of what makes up the self. Like I have distinctive memories in uh, my first dance class of like, or probably it was like my second or third because it was a little more advanced, but learning certain types of turns and like really feeling the truth of something that I now say confidently, but I think the seeds were planted back then, which is I feel strongly and people have written about it, but you know, about all these forms of communication that point to the fact like language is not, words are not the language of thought, which at this point gets repeated the theme on this podcast of a lot. Season two. I, I said that once and it's just like, we're all resonating with it. But I know that to be true. Like words are a translation, right? Like they're not the language of the essence of what's in there. And I remember learning to do, I don't even remember the name of the turn now, um, but it's like you you do a shiny up, you do a shiny now, and then you, you like, like turn in the air. Axel, like I don't know. Like a tour or an axle turn? I think it was an axle turn. Tor- Incidentally, that was the one that I ended up tearing my meniscus on. But um, I was <sighs> like, oh my God, this is something new. Like this is a new way of thinking, you know, like, and it, I didn't need to put words on it. It was like my body learning to do that and then doing it and doing it again and again and honing it is a form of thinking that has nothing to do with me trying to then apply words to it. And so... um. All that to say, like, what um, it's taught me about community is more ways of understanding myself and understanding other people. And I think the more you understand yourself, the more you can understand others, the more you build um, self-awareness, the more you can be aware of other people's states and ways both that you can relate. But then, like, if you know, let's say that you have five colors in yourself, you can tend to be like having room for seeing five colors in other people. But if you see 10 colors in yourself, you're aware, oh, this person might have 10 colors. And then the higher the count gets, the more you're like, oh, but that person might have 20, you know? And so like on and on. And so I've come to think of- I don't know what just happened, but I'm like, I just wrote down like five things Leslie just said. That's, this is awesome. (laughs) Okay, keep going. Thanks for having me. I'm having like, I'm having paradigm shifts right now. (laughs) What? I'm having paradigm. I love that. What? Okay, hold on. We're gonna have to cut this. What now? You're good. You're good. You're good. Hi, Elise. She actually she can't hear us because she just muted her voice. <laughs> Our fifth guest of the podcast. Hey, it's David. Hi, Elise. Is that Elise? <laughs> Don't tell yeah. Elise I said hey. <laughs> What's up, Elise? Let's do it. Okay. We're gonna grow. I have onions. 
Center. Uh, there's so much I want to bounce off Leslie, but you can bounce. The, I have one last. N- n- I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but um, I got really excited, Kevin. So I hope we bake in time. If I if we're talking about what I think we're talking about when you mentioned Shadow, I assumed you were referencing Carl Young, and I have some thoughts that I feel like are relevant to what Leslie said. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. But just know, please make time for that because I will. All, I will. I'll thank so much. You. So much good introspection. With the five hour episode. <laughs> Yeah. Is it, hey, was that that all stuff you guys have talked about before? The five colors, ten colors, ring. Le- oh, Le- Leslie, Leslie, just like, be spitting bars. Leslie, Leslie does this thing where, like, I, I've kind of, I've kind of referenced it before, David, with with these two. That was good, Leslie. Le- Leslie sometimes talks in a way that's like, if I feel like if and David, you're very artistic, you're very creative, so I, you receiving it and you having. Like David, remember I made I quoted a movie one time to David, you guys, and it was Hitch, and the character was Alex Brenneman, and he was trying to impress this fashion designer, and he wasn't a creative guy, he was an artistic guy, so he he spurts out this line, the receptive nature of the creative facility just fascinates me, and he was trying to impress a fashion designer who, was, but I remember quoting it to David and like kind of like snarky, like making fun because it was a funny thing, um, but if you're not artistic. If you're not artistic, those two ideas, receptive nature, creative facility, like sometimes if someone just throws like these very deep words of a certain facet of study, it can like confuse you and throw you off. So with Leslie, a lot of times I'm so grateful that I have like an artistic viewpoint to come from, because a lot of times Leslie talks and I swear to, I feel like you have to speak artist. And if you, but if you speak artist, she makes so much, like she speaks in ways that, that it, it, it's a pictorial way of speaking. She speaks in a way and you see a movie, you see a, you see an illustration, you see, um, it's almost like people who have synesthesia who can see sounds, like they, they hear music, they hear songs, they can see colors, like they see a mosaic. So Leslie talks in a way that, that illustrates so much truth about what a lot of artists feel about, a lot, like not even about artistics, you won't even talk about a painting. Leslie would just talk about life. Leslie would talk about relationship, people, politics. Like she would just talk about like any, the planets, a a sitcom she was watching. But when she talks about it, it comes off so strongly artistic. You feel like you're sitting deep in like, like art 301 of like a, like a psychology or philosophy of art class. And it can get like deep into the weeds, but like people who are just naturally artists, I feel like I can hear her talk and go, oh my God, like I had this sensation of like truth that I felt inside of me and I never had ways to express it. And the way she just said it, like it, it created the exact picture of, of it, like it ideated into words perfectly. What I, so Les, Leslie has never said that before, but she's good for just like taking these, these ideas and thoughts, processing them. And then like the truth about them, she like puts them back in a way that's like, oh shit, if you're an artist, she just drew like a fucking like canvas or graffiti wall. And like you sit there, and you go, yeah, like that's, but she's never said, that's the first time she's ever said something like that. Thank you. That's incredibly generous. And we're cutting all that out. No, no, no. I, was, I was really saying, we are literally Leslie, if, if you, you cut this out, I'm quitting the podcast. Me too. You know, there's, um, so I don't like Leslie and Ben, and maybe you too, Kev. Have you guys, um, I don't know if it's kind of in the dance world at all, but do people talk about, sometimes just um, the term movement culture or um, there's, that's probably the biggest way to talk about it. Philosophy of movements. Is that kind of, is that, are there any movements in, in the dance world related to that? It's something that's 
There are like, if you think about any of the founders of the different, like Martha Graham, for example, like definitely had philosophy involved in like her development toward a modern technique. Um, But I'm, I haven't really done any reading actually, but it makes sense that it would, philosophies would arise out of different areas of dance because exactly like it helped it's a well, it's especially a way. like if you think about like kind of eastern um traditions like um whether it's like a martial art or mm-hmm. some of the like dances um like i think more south american dance uh culture but yeah there there is a there's there's a it's it's a movement but it's all about physical movement so some, some it's called like a lot of times the movement culture or it's a whole approach to fitness and there's a, there's a lot of really cool stuff in it it also like anything it can get a little weird and it's it almost become popularized so now it's kind of like you're it's like you're woke if you're into movement instead of like okay like mm-hmm. like dumb people going to the gym and lift weights but all the woke people are like philosophically engaged and i'm just gonna move and and like it gets it gets a little weird but the people who are really into it um they they think so differently about everything um and there's a lot of in that movement the they use the idea of research and science but it's about physical movement so they'll they talk about play being the research that helps us understand physical movement so anyways Leslie was talking about play and I just I was gonna I was I didn't know if you'd run across that. Um, I'm it's sorry, really, could you say the last, could you just say the last two sentences of what you said? Sorry. Um, research. <laughs> there's just an emphasis on research and science. Hmm. And they view play as being the highest form of research, which sounds like it's a non-scientific thing, but people who are really- Oh my God, like, yes. I've thought so much about experimental. This. So yes. a lot of people who study like, the philosophy of science talk about it in terms of playfulness and oh then God. and then it trickles down into popular culture and we act like to be scientific is like you got to have, have all the data and put it in your excel sheet and then out will pop the answer and that's science but the exactly people- divorcing sciences from the arts oh hell yeah i could go on a long yes no and, cool, I, and the science of play for sure you know there's people like just playground designers who are like their whole thing is like how to create playgrounds that will actually help children unleash their fullest imaginations and learn. And it has nothing to do, it, it has all to do with right creating room for risk and not- Yeah, it's not yeah, just like yeah. where to put the slide. They're like yeah. designing things for experimentation and risk. And yes. yeah, no, I, I do. I've read some of their, it's it's really cool. I was gonna say though, um, I, I Kevin knows this cause he and I both used to geek out on creativity and um, like in all forms like intellectual creativity, like can you think about things and combine them in a way that they haven't, can you like flip it around and see the other angle? And um, so, but anyways, I used to, I, when, when I was like really reading a lot about how people were thinking about creativity, um, I learned that Einstein, when he, um, when he developed his theories, he, people think he was developing them mathematically but what he would do is um, he, he actually, he would go, what did he call it? Um, it was an emotional thing. He didn't quite know how to explain what he was doing, but I, I know this sounds crazy and I don't know enough about like 
everything that he did to use the right terms here. But it's like he would say, I wonder what it would feel like to be an electron. And he and he would think not with this, but like he, he really thought that he was emotionally connecting with. I know that sounds crazy, but this is Einstein. It and doesn't we, sound I, crazy. It Einstein's seems like a science so much guy. more sense. Yeah. So he would do and empathy. I, I think, what is it? I feel like it's empathy. Uh, he probably would resonate with that. He would think I'm practicing universal empathy, like about the elements of the, and um, it's so it's so so he would feel and he. He was famous for doing his thought experiments. So if you, you know, we've all heard that phrase, like we need to do a thought experiment, but now it's just a thing we say that means like, hey, let's, can we talk about something? Can we do a thought experiment? But Einstein thought he was doing science in his mind. Not like, cause he had little things that he'd pour chemicals in and test them. He was thinking, what would it feel like to be? And, and he would imagine himself like being in an elevator. Could I put an electron in an elevator? What would it feel like? And he would, like feel all those emotions. And then when he thought he felt it right, he would find a way to use math to explain his feelings. And that would come a formula. He was a very emotional, imaginative, um, that's the way he, and so that's when we talk about thought experiments, Einstein thought he was doing science by playing in his imagination. He was like, doing scientists, obviously. Like he didn't just think he was, yes. But now how do we teach science in school? Now you think sci science isn't play. Like people can, you can get a degree in science and have no imagination for science and no playfulness. You, all you can do is put numbers in a spreadsheet. So it's weird because the people who are making scientific innovations, they're playful, imaginative, asking crazy questions like, hey, what would, yeah. So, so anyways, your thing about play, I, I just think play is research. Yeah. And, and oh, we can cut this too. I have to say this because you made me think of it and it's just so beautiful. But I had this little thought, I was at an aquarium, which oh, I don't want to go back again because I realized aquariums are basically like zoos too. I was like, aquariums are better, but no, they're too small. I think it's really sad. But I was at my aquarium for the last time and I was looking at an octopus <laughs> and I was thinking about, you know, octopus have like the brains in their arms. And I was thinking like, to your point of how we dumb down play for kids and just divorce it completely from the science and the learning aspect. It's like, why do we spend all this money and like all this talent and everything making like movies where we impose a human way of communicating and thinking on other creatures? Like we make animated mm. films like, like Nemo or whatever. Not that that's not a good movie. What if we spent that talent and time and resources making a film to actually try and do our best approximation of what the world would be like from an octopus who can think with its eight arms? Like, instead of trying to like, I'm an octopus and I'm speaking in English, you know, and like, I'm running around talk, acting like a human, but I'm an octopus. What if we actually tried to like, you know, even that, it's like the same thing you're saying. Like, what if we tried to imagine what it's like to feel like an electron and then out of that blossoms like, you know, equations and actionable stuff. But yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this. Like, and it all, it all often does come back to, it seems like a root of like curiosity and what we would call childlike wonder and play. Hey, can I add one more thing that whole like science and feeling thing? Okay, sorry, cause I know it's- totally Oh, David, David, please. It's a good I, fitness uh, man, episode. As, as, much as, we can, as much as we can get from, I promise, as much as we can get from you, David, I, I, I'm loving this right now. Okay, going back to creativity and the way we think that there's one thing that's creativity and one thing that's like 
science or strategy. You know, we like separate those things. So I just discovered, this is so interesting. Um, I just discovered that we, we consider Aristotle as the, as the creator of logic. Um, people like who study that probably could, could argue that, but just in, in general, a lot of people would, would say Aristotle created logic, Western logic, like if this, then this. Um, and I just discovered that Aristotle, when he, um, th this is because I'm, I'm, reading, I'm reading a book about strategy and the guy who's, who's teaching strategies considered an expert on strategy. He got his degree from Harvard, but now he complains that the reason people are really bad at strategy is because they all get their MBAs from Harvard and they learn how to think like this. And um, he takes a very creative approach to strategy and he thinks we're teaching it too like this. So he said, you know what we do? We have this obsession in our culture with logic and, and we need logic and logic works. Logic can assist creativity. But he said, we've got this, um, this view of logic from Aristotle and we try to use that to define strategy. And he's kind of talking about business strategy, but he, his concept, he applies to, um, they actually found a way to teach this to, to kids and it's really cool. Aristotle actually said, there are two worlds one world is the world that, um, let me see if I can say it right. It, it can only, it cannot be other than it is. That's one world. And what he means is in that world, there's some known rules. Like if I drop an apple, it will always go down. That, that world that we live in cannot be other than it is. So if you're in a closed system that cannot be other than it is, the way you work in that system is through logic. Like if I drop, because of gravity, if I drop it, it's gonna go down. And, and you know, there's lots of rules in our world. There's even sort of like, in some ways you could say there are social rules. Like if I repeatedly talk demean this person, like I'm gonna lower their creativity. We could just say that's, that's a rule. But then he said, so he says in that world, we need to use logic. And then he, he writes his, you know, all his philosophical works on how, what logic is. And that's how we have our, our Western obsession with logic and our understanding of logic comes from that. He also said, there's another world. And the other world we live in is the world in which things could be other than they are. And in that world, and this is the guy who wrote, like, let's just say Aristotle wrote the book on logic. He said, do not use logic in that world. In that world, you need imagination. And I think that's amazing because we're, the solutions we want, whether it's like for our sport or for our world or our relationships are all things like that's a world where things could be other than they are. And you don't get there with logic. You need imagination. Yes. Oh, so good. Like, it sounds so simple, but yeah. And the fact it came out of someone who's dedicated his life to like writing these more logic strategies right yeah. the fact that he's the ones it really points to something you know it's like the more you get into one field the more you recognize the need for the seeming what has been posed as the opposing field you see the yeah. connection between yeah yeah vincent mm. i know you and kevin you guys were both like raring to go on something over here what <laughs> fitness I'm sure they both had to do with fitness, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why I'm asked. Um, yeah, uh, CrossFit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
I, I, What's your favorite I won't. Yeah, I don't want to digress too much. I, I was just applying what you guys were saying. And it was interesting to hear you guys talk about like the science and philosophy of movement because I feel like I would identify that as artistry. So hearing those things, like when it comes to dance specifically and movement, to me, having like a philosophy of movement is part of the artistry and creativity. Um, so it's interesting to hear a different language and compare it to science. Um, and that's something too, just like applying it to as I've been introspecting over like why I left dance. Um, and I think that philosophy of movement type mindset is often missing here in LA because of the industry, which is a very much commodified version of the pursuit of the art of dance. So the only philosophy is like what gets you booked and blessed. Um, and that's something that I felt, but I don't think I could really put a finger on of like what exactly I missed about dance. And there was a community piece from college, but I think it was also, um, just not being around people that really leaned into, again, what I would call like the real artistry of exploration of their bodies and how that interacts with the music and how both those things interact with the audience. Um, and those are things now that I know are really, really important to me um, with dance as a, an art of expression. Um, so it's just, it's just cool to hear a different language for that. Uh, I think it provides some different perspective. Just to cap off that question, what is dance or fitness taught you about? Question one down. Community relation. <laughs> and then we'll move on to what I think. What I'm, Seven what, more to go. To what I anticipate is going to be the final question. I think I, I want to be respectful of David's time, just depending on, on I want to make this question anticipated the last, but if David wants to go further that, we can, and we can delve into other ones. But just to cap that off. Yeah, I, David, I told them a story. We're, we're having an episode about utopia. And one of the elements I talked about in utopia was this like constant striving, but never arriving idea and so i talked about this crossfit class where um i forgot i i know two parts of the workout was pull-ups and heavy like heavily progressing snatches so um you probably you, you might which one is the snatch sorry just so i can is the snatch the one where you you pick it up off the ground and in, then you into the yes yeah, so when you when you catch it yeah, david go ahead oh i was saying what leslie just did was clean and jerk oh and then, yeah, yeah. So the, the so the snatch is you you go to the ground to grab the barbell, and then you're gonna pull it up to your waist, and then you're gonna like pelvic thrust your waist out to throw the bar above your head. But the moment it catches, mm -hmm. you're gonna be in this full squat position. So like you're in like bottomed out in the squat, and it's like oh I see. It's it's yeah. this it's like this super technical, super balance driven. Like not only power and like anat like there's so much into the coordination of like you have guys just throwing even in the basic CrossFit class, you just have this ridiculous amount of weight that it doesn't make sense for you to number one, pull it to your waist in this very fast motion with every like line in your body being like orchestrated a certain way, then pelvic thrusting it. And then like the awkwardness of like a normal human being who's not aware of their, like dancers would probably get this beautifully, but like someone who's not like in tune with their body and coordination and awareness of like joints and ligament, like you're throwing it and then you're going into the full bottom out squat. And then you're holding this ridiculous amount of weight with your shoulders locked. Like, Bottomless. In a in a, in, bottomless, in a position you would never be so like it's incredibly like it's incredibly like sophisticated complicated orchestrated exercise it can be like emotionally taxed like there's just so much to it beyond the physical strength aspect element of it that can be like taxing and challenging and so we're doing that and what fit to, to make that story make sense in the in the context of what fitness has taught me about about community or relationship like the class is done. I told, I told David, I told Vincent Leslie, the class is done. Cause like we're at the end of the workout. I barely have enough time. 
Um, I don't think it was a timed one. Maybe it was like, just like get through the rounds, do heavy pull up, which you're, you're burning your shoulders out. And then when you go into the snatch, like your shoulders are fried. So like it's purposefully orchestrated or designed the workout to burn your shoulders with the pull-ups. And then you're like trying to put weight above your head. That's getting heavier. And it's just like, it, it's, it's a, it's a mind fuck. So I'm getting to this last snatch and I keep trying to like get it up and you're in the squat. And then the point of the workout is to like stand up with this weight over your head. Um, and so I'm like, I'm like the last set or one of the last reps and I, I fail and I go down and I get frustrated. I think I failed again. Like I try to go back into it too fast and David walks on the whole class stopped and like the coach like, ah, oh, yeah, but there's no, it's not a time thing. It's like a finish to try to finish whole class to stop all everyone's finished. David kind of comes over to me and goes like, Hey, like calm, relax. Like, Cause I was like walking back up to the bar to grab. Cause I was like, like breathing heavy, like CrossFit class with David, I, I, David would know sometimes I would just be in there like grunting, like a fucking demon, like, like violently heaving, like, you know, like sight, like, like can a, you reenact so I can get a good picture? Like a like a football play, like before a game, like the way, like, like way football players might gather around in a circle and put their helmets together. And like, like, like this very guttural, visceral, like grunting and grunt. Like I'm sitting there and I'm like mentally bracing myself. And I walk back to the bar and David kind of walks over and go, Hey, like breathe. Take a second, rest a little longer. Give your give your shoulders a second. Take a second. Take a second. All right. Calming energy. Now, now, now. So the whole it's like everyone stopped. Everyone's watching. And I told David back when we were at G, back when we, we worked at GCD. I said, David, that moment was the most romantic moment. And I can't. I don't. I've used words like threshold. I've used words like limit and barrier. It those words don't capture the ex- experientially what that was. That moment beyond my relationship with my mother, any woman I've romantically tried to pursue, any poem that I've written, that moment in that gym, those five seconds when I'm about to walk to this bar was the most romantic and one of the most meaningful moments of my life. So I go down to grab this bar and I'm, and I'm resting. Like, I literally, like, I, I, I get, like, I, if I kept, like, del- delving deeply, I would, like, start crying just because of how beautiful. So I go to grab this bar and, I, and I'm sitting there and, like, there's no competition. There's no money. There's no, it's, 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 it's Kevin Ortiz today versus who Kevin Ortiz was yesterday or who Kevin Ortiz thought himself to be like Kevin Ortiz has an assumption of his ability now. And so I go to grab, I grab the bar. I throw it over my head. I get back, I get into the squat bottomed out arms and ligaments are shaking like a stripper. And I go to like lift this bar above my head. And like anyone who's done this squat or the snatch knows like, once you're past your threshold, your arms naturally, like you, you can't control your arm. They will naturally throw, it will just collapse on you like a building. It's like a poor infrastructure with no, so I, I go for that last one. Everyone's watching. Everyone's like cheering and encouraging, like the kind of how CrossFit communities are. And I fail that final attempt. And I remember thinking to myself, like, had that been me alone in the gym at some like military gym where I have 24 hour access, where we have CrossFit areas where I can go do that. The meaning in that moment of like, I'd spent months around these people, like David was saying, you show up to class after work, 5.30, you're run down from the day and they're happy to see you. And like, everyone's, everyone's invested in this common pursuit of like, you're sweating and you're, you're screaming and, and you're, you're, you're pushing. And like, I built this like unspoken bond with these people. And that moment doesn't exist without that element of the people. Like Vince saying, like, we're passed out on the floor and we're all just like 30 minutes. And I was like, so what it made me understand as a poet, like dance is like, dance can be solo or, or collective. It can be collaborative. There's a lot of elements of art that can like, in fitness, that can be solo, isolated, or collaborative. 
And what it made me realize is someone who's introverted, someone who's a poet, someone who literally constructed my artistic pursuit so that I didn't have to rely, depend on other people, i.e. spoken word. Microphone, me. I don't need a producer to make a beat. I don't need someone to work the... I realized like, hey, the highest caliber of meaning and fulfillment you can get out of life is going to have to be in the context of relationship. You can do this alone. You can go, you can go put on this beautiful poetry show and, and pay for it yourself and, and build it. And you can be the, you can be the sole proprietor of like the, of the IP and, and this design and all this shit. But if there's one thing that taught me is that if you get to, and I'll cap, I'll cap, I'll cap it with this. If you get to the mountain peak alone, there's, there, there's a feeling of accomplishment. But if you, do it with, if you do it with people, if you get to that mountain peak with people or with someone or with persons, there's a level of like bonding and harsh. And what, I, what I'll say is there's a, I think, it's, I think there's a Netflix documentary called Maru or the Dawn Wall. Basically, this guy maps out how to climb a wall. The guy he's partnering with can't make it past a certain element on the wall. They're like, they're, he just can't do it. So the guy goes on by himself and gets like almost, to, and like, news crews come out and they're filming like what are you guys they're calling what are you guys doing what inspired you and it's this thing and the guy who can't make it he just camps out on the side of the wall because he can't get past a certain element the guy who is like more proficient gets to like 80 percent of the way and he's about to like peak and in that moment he said this doesn't mean as much to me if i do this alone he goes all the way back down he reverse engineers his path climbs all the way back over to his friend and goes, I'm not moving until you make that element. Until you make that child, I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. When I say this guy couldn't make it, he had spent multiple attempts over a week, seven, like I think it was literally more than seven days where he had tried, and you can only try so many times in a day before your just hands get fried, your arms get fried, your, elbow, your joints, you gotta go rest. Like you put all of it in 30 minutes and you, and so I, I remember sitting there like, like watching this document, weeping and crying because I understood what that meant of like, I've had moments where I accomplished like great, like poetry, uh, poetry performances or, and I've had moments where I accomplished things like a dance performance in a group or that moment in the CrossFit gym. And so all that to say, like what fitness has taught me is like beauty, meaning and accomplishment isolated to just you and your experience. It's, it's, it doesn't hold a candle. It's not comparable and it cannot hold a candle to beauty, meaning and accomplishment in life when done in the context of community. So it's just like, like the, like people, people just have, I have to, as an introvert, I have to wrap my mind around it. People have to wrap their mind around it, especially introverts who are shy and awkward and socially like of, of having aversion to social content. We just have to wrap our minds around like the beauty, the deepest beauties that you want to see in life are going to be unlocked in the context of like community and, and, and groups and people. Um, but all I have to say, next question, and hopefully, David, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, final question. So I sort of want to add something to that, though. Can yeah, you, yeah. you have time? Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going off you. I have all. I, I'm going off you. Same. I, okay. I'm down for whenever. But we did just hit an hour, David. FYI, if you did need to do other things, just so you're aware. Okay. Um, no, I'm good. I just wanted to. I was just going to call someone later tonight. That's why I'd asked um, at the beginning how long you normally go. No, that's really interesting, Kev, because. Um, um, so this isn't really a, a fitness thing. It's like kind of a coaching or partnership thing. So it could relate to like a partnership in fitness or it could be in another area. But you, like you were talking about the collaboration and, and the moment that means something because you're together. And um, 
And and also your story about you being in the gym and like you, you kind of needed to to take a to take a breath. There's um I so I I coached I probably I think for about 10 years I I coached and I remember when I first started my concept of a coach was a cheerleader or not really my concept but the example because I was in a place where people they didn't have fitness experience or personal training experience they were great people they really just like to work out we're, we're so so crossfit athletes and they'd gone and gotten their cert their certification so the way when you don't really know if you don't have any, and I'm not trying to slam them, but the truth is if you don't have any value to add someone as a coach, all you can do is cheerlead. So you have to be the best cheerleader in the room. But if you go a little bit beyond that and you think, okay, look, um, actually we're going to develop you into being a mature athlete or take away the word athlete and just say mature person. Like part of that means like, like Leslie was talking about um, I forget how you phrased it, Leslie, but it's almost like you were talking about how some people are disassociated from their bodies, but like you are your body, <laughs> like you can. Um, so a good, a good coach in some sort of physical thing, and I'm not claiming myself as that coach. I'm saying this is who I would strive to be as a coach. A good coach is helping you become more mature physically. And part of that, like what we want is maturity, not that someone feels good while they're working out. That's easy and anyone can do that. So if you're cheerleading people or if you're, or it's also easy to tell people what the sets and reps are. Cause I, I read a blog on fitness.com and it said, if people want to like have a better waistline, do three by 10 of this or four, or here's another, here's the latest thing people do on Instagram. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you how to do this. It's easy to do that. Um, in fact, you're adding no value because we can get all that by looking on Instagram ourselves. Like what, why would someone else tell me to do something that I can read on fitness.com? So the real value a coach gives to someone isn't the expertise because in, in our world today, you can get that person's expertise for free online. Or, or you could go, maybe you have to pay and get from a course, but you can get the knowledge. So the value they add isn't that I cheerlead you. Um, and it's not, I can tell you what sets and reps to do, or I can, it's definitely not that you're the one who can demonstrate it. I can do the dance move. I can pull the barbell off the ground. Just do it like me. Now I'm coaching you. No, you're not. But the value add is actually, can you have a collaboration with someone that because of the way you collaborate, they became more mature and, and maturity might mean I can tolerate pain. If it's in the CrossFit world, it might mean I can let go of artificial goals and adopt more meaningful goals. It can mean all sorts of things. So here's the thing. I, I thought of it because when Kevin told the story, and I know, Kev, it's not the point you're making the story about that someone came and said, take a breath. But I'll, I'll say this. Amateurs, when they try to coach people, they cheerlead and they push them harder. Like, go, 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 go. And, and that's what, and that's the fun thing about being in a group environment, all, all the group gets together and they watch someone go, 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 go. But a really good coach, I, I just, I, it was one of the first big breakthroughs I had as a coach. I learned that the best thing I can do is someone's world, their brain's going haywire because they're experiencing sensations they've never felt before. They might physically be in pain. And, and my job is to tell them it's okay to feel pain. So you're talking to someone in the middle of a workout and you, and you, do, you go like this, you, the music's low because 
you don't blast the music, so you're going to block everything out. So I'm unconscious. I'm just like, have it so people can think. And you walk up to them while, while they're experiencing pain. And, and I started talking quietly enough that they had to like open their eyes and like look at my mouth and hear. If you shout at them, go, 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 that doesn't do anything for someone's maturity. But if you walk up and while they're in their pain, they realize like you're not, and this sounds mean, but it's not. It feels really good when it happens to you. But you're, you're working really hard. Kev, you're on the assault bike and like you are experiencing a type of pain you didn't know existed. And someone comes and stands next to you. And instead of saying, you got this, you got this. They say, hey, you're averaging 336 watts for the last 30 seconds. You need to try to bump it up to 338, okay? Try to bump it up. Okay. And, there, and like something happens when they realize someone who's supporting me has a higher, higher tolerance for my pain than I have for my pain. And you know what it does? It gives them maturity. They're like, okay. So because otherwise what's happening is they just go into survival mode. Yeah. And, and you see it on people's faces. It's different if you cheerlead. They're doing, like, it might just be that they're doing burpees or something. And, like, they've got that face of death. But when you walk up to them and you say, hey, um, I want you to hit, and you talk just like this. Hey, I want you to hit three burpees um, on the minute. And then, uh, or I, wa I want you to hit three burpees and then watch the clock and, and count 10 seconds. And then I want you to hit another three. And it changes everything. So anyways, I, I say that because part of being together and collaborating, it's this thing of like, how, why are we collaborating? Because you need someone to slap you on the back? No, I wanna help you become mature. And some of that is dealing with your own emotions. Um, like someone, someone, was, someone was upset that she didn't do well at a certain athletic competition. And it might've been CrossFit, but it might've been a strength meet, like powerlifting or something. And this, this woman, Vince, she used to work at Amazon. She was one of, you know, she's kind of like your type of sector. She's really smart. And she was your kind. <laughs> um, she was really, I, I'm, I'm sure Vince knows Amazon is, is known for being an incredibly competitive, like toxically competitive. Horrible place to work. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, so she was really smart. She, um, and she was pretty, pretty fit. And she got so mad that she didn't do well at this meet. And so what she needed in a partnership wasn't someone to say, it's okay, or you'll do better. Like I, I said very nicely, um, I don't know exactly the words I used, but what I communicated was, you haven't earned the right to be upset about any of your performance. Because there's people who've been training for five years and the thing you went to after six months, it was something fun, you went and did it. So earn the right to become upset at your performance. Right now, you're a baby. And none of this is like, like, like slammer. It's like, you're doing great. But, but listen, wake up call, have some maturity and self-awareness. You've been doing something for six months that people devote. Like there's a guy out there who held the world record in bench press and has written a book on how to press a bar off your chest. And he says, now after 10 years, I think I'm starting to learn how to bench press. Or, or, I'm sorry, what he said is after 10 years, you know, you, you press and it's, it's chest, but it's also price, triceps that extend the elbow joint. So he, he says now after 10 years, I think I'm learning, I think I'm starting to learn how to engage my triceps in the bench press. Dude, you've got the world record in bench press. What are you talking about? So I, anyway, I'm saying all that, like it's, 
that collabor collaboration and partnership, sometimes it's like help it's helping people find maturity in something. And that's not cheerleading and it's not technical expertise that does that. It's something a little bit emotional. And sometimes it, it means like I can tolerate your pain. And when someone gets around someone who can tolerate their pain, they can tolerate their pain. And think about what that would mean in a relationship when you get around someone who like, you know, I know life sucks right now and you got hurt in a way, no one deserves to be hurt in the way you got hurt. But um, we're gonna get through this and I need you to make some decisions and I, I can tolerate your pain. That means you can tolerate your pain and we're gonna grow through it. So anyways, I'm sorry I went off on that, but I just, when I think about coaching and fitness, I don't think about people getting bigger biceps. It's like, it's so meaningful to help someone else become mature. I think that was like the perfect, like for me to say what has like fitness taught you about like community or like that relationship. That was like such a perfect non-expected answer. Like again, the Instagram guys, you DM them and you ask, they're not going to like that answer is like, it's so David actually found that on fitness.com. <laughs> yeah. he, he was just reading it off. <laughs> don't look, don't go to the site. It's the latest blog. It just he came Googled, out. This he Google while Leslie was talking. <laughs> no, Dave, David, I, I like that. That was like, that couldn't have been any more perfect of like you concocting the perfect way for me. Like for what I was trying to fish for, like going into these questions, thinking of you, of you guys and, and girl, like, I was like, I know these people and I want to fish. I want to, there's ingredients in Leslie, there's ingredients in Vince, there's ingredients in David. And if, me knowing them, I can go grab those ingredients and make this beautiful dish. And so I'm like trying to construct and think like, I can fish these ingredients. But like, you know, it's like, like this, this, it's like this dance. It's like this back and forth. It's like this, this conversation of, of my soul with your guys' soul of trying to like interact in a way and trying to like press certain areas to hope these ingredients come out and I can go, okay, yeah, this is what I, so Dave, thank, I, I genuinely thank you. I, I couldn't have asked for like a better for a guest on our podcast to like give people who listen to us, like what I want people to get from you. That couldn't have been any more perfect. So thank you. Thank you. Um, we got what we wanted. Wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, We've yeah, no, David. Extracted the valuable minerals. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, David, if 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 you have time, I'll go into the last one. But if not, we can we can cap it here. And uh, I mean, that that was beautiful. But I do have one last thing that Vince wanted me to get to, and that I want to get to. But I want to be respectful of your time. We are. Um, I'm, uh, I'm good. Okay, let's 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 do it. Thank should you. Should we should we shoot for thirty more minutes? Is that a good closing? Yeah, yeah thirty probably is a good. Leslie, are you good with 30? Is 30 like a, okay. Uh, we're going to have to do 25. Well, I've, it seemed like Elise was really wanting to come cook. So I didn't know if. Uh... No, 30 Damn. Elise runs a tight ship at the, at the P.O. household. <laughs> Elise is like, cut it at 20. Like Elise runs the ship. Hmm, assumption. <laughs> well, know, when she kept hey, walking in, I was. it looked like she had you in right Leslie in your place. Is, well, Leslie, I am in her office. Leslie is front. Asian culture, the older sibling can be like, no i know she gets so mad when i don't acknowledge she's the older sister as opposed to just my sister wow anyway. <laughs> respect that okay um david yes she literally says that and it's wow. so annoying that's uh, hey i'm glad you said that leslie because i need to start reminding some of my siblings who have forgot to get back in line <laughs> yeah let's start doing it um damn that's yeah. gonna be a takeaway for me from this um besides <laughs> like if i see more colors in myself, I can give space to other people that have more colors. 
the other one will be people need to treat me as the oldest sibling as the elder yeah <laughs> david like eight ways all of his siblings tonight <laughs> i want all of you to know um I, i'll open the family chat i'll be like hey guys i'm on the podcast right now live y'all need to treat me like <laughs> <laughs> um um david the, the union idea of the shadow um so I was reading a little bit of that shadow today because the way I understood the psychological term that I, I know very little about, but the way I, I relate to it and understand it in my very like elementary based, like very rudimentary way of, of, of hearing about it was like two of the elements that you can easily identify with the shadow is aggression or sexuality, but there's so much more to it. The shadow, like while I was reading a description today, it said the shadow is the part of the ego that the ego doesn't identify with itself. Like there's, there's these like shadow is often identified psychologically with these elements about ourselves that we that society teaches us or conditions us to repress. So like, it's like, like carnal desires or like, or not even what's positioned in society is carnal desires or even aggression or sexuality. It can just, it can be this very encompassing thing of things that may be positioned as dark or twisted or carnal or primitive or barbaric or animal like animal. Um, but, and Vince, I think might have a specific way he wants to go with this. I want to go with, with you, my, my geek out question wanted to, I, that I wanted to capture with this and kind of draw from you was, you know, I, when I heard the shadow, I heard about the psychologist talking about the importance of integrating the shadow. Like there can be consequences of, if you continue to repress these parts about yourself rather than integrating them, I'm not sure if that necessarily leads to a split personality and schizophrenia, but you're, you're, you can have deep negative psychological consequences of not integrating things, of repressing these things rather than integrating them. So for example, um, football players, you might have a football player that comes from a violent home or a violent neighborhood, or they just might have a lot of testosterone. And so if they don't have an outlet, they might like they might be in highly persuaded by a group of boys or on the neighborhood who do dumb shit or illegal shit or even maybe gang activity. Or you might have a, a kid who comes from a violent home and saw his father or his mother or his siblings be violent. And if they don't have a good outlet in which like martial arts or football or something that then they might be susceptible to falling into with the wrong crowd of doing criminal activity or because that because honestly, criminal activity, like doing something illegal or theft or secret or dark or it can be this way to integrate your shadow. Um, so I wanted to talk about this element, like with you and the shadow and aggression and fitness or just the shadow, even maybe beyond aggression, aggression is just immediately what I go to. Cause like, I've seen you and I've seen me in, in the CrossFit gym doing something that like, you have to be aggressive. Like Leslie walking up to that line going, I have to win this race. Like there's a level of competitive, a level of like, there's a level it's it, aggression. It, when you paint aggression in one, like when you say red is just cherry red. And that's aggression. It's like, no, you go to Home Depot and you see the color palette of red all the way from like auburn to burnt orange to like to pink to sun. So in that moment, Leslie has to have a Leslie has to draw from somewhere. And like when Leslie's like full out burst running and she's having to draw physical, like she's having to integrate a level of regret. So and Vince, tag on to the end of my question to because I want to make sure you get out of it what you want as well. But like David, what has fitness? taught you about integrating the, sh the shadow? What has it taught you about the sh like In those, those in tandem, the relationship between, between fitness or between like, and like Leslie was saying, I don't want to limit fitness to just like the sake of, of 
health and betterment for the sake of terminating for health health benefit betterment like fitness all encompassing of like movement with your body and discovering like all these things what has like fitness taught you about like integrating your shadow so um i need like one more uh overview of what is it what does it mean to integrate the shadow so for example like on a football team a coach might sit there and like pull his guys aside like he might have a problem child who like fight who like fights with the other team mayors like we call we call all right cut stop and then he's like fighting with the guys on his team it's like hey like you have aggression that's good what you can't do is like punt like when we call stop on the play you talk to your teammates and go like hey that's but on the field i put a red jersey on that guy when we call hike i want you to heart within the rules and confines of the game I want you to channel every last ounce of aggression and energy in a, in a harnessed, channeled, leashed way. You can, un, but it has to, like, you can't just go, like, foul the guy and do something that's, that's going to get a flag on the play. But I put a red jersey on that guy. You, your job is to go knock him flat and knock the fuck. Like, I want you to level the field. I want you to knock him flat, knock him out. I want the ball to go flying into the next county. So, like, that level of, like, your aggression can come out in this express man or martial arts, karate, taekwondo, there's the rules. When the, when the referee calls go, you two within the confines of the rules can express aggression and striking, but it has to be. So like that idea of like, I'm like, you, you see me before we went to the Fort Bragg gym, I'm picking up hundred pound dumbbells. There's there that Kevin didn't exist prior to me, like working out where like, I, anyone who's Christian is going to hear this is going to be upset. Poetically, I go to a poetically, I go to a very demonic place to grab two 100 pound dumbbells, lift them up. Mm. I'm only 170 pounds. I'm waddling back to my bench like a duck. I'm throwing them on my knees and I'm sitting there and like the whole like violent visceral breathing. And I was telling that Vince wanted me like, like deep, deep, like yoga, kind of like your body temperature is changing. Cause you're is that why they play death metal. So you can just do death growls while you work out. I'm not even joking. It's, a, it's appropriate. And then like kicking up 100 pound dumbbell onto an arm that probably doesn't weigh more than like, I don't know, 40, 50, 60. and then another hundred pound dumbbell and then throwing myself back and having 200 pounds within this vicinity of my body, like there's a level of like aggression and hostility and anger that I have to like conjure up. That's, you know, present in every, that it's, it's the capacity and the, and the possibility for is possible is there in every human being. We just have to tap, we can, it's like a muscle. You can tap into it and then grow it and develop it and then harness it in the right ways. It can be seen in the business sector of being competitive. We're going to Amazon bleeding out other companies or Vince just going, I'm going to like in a, in a friendly competitive way, I'm going to, I have to harness aggression to try to in a friendly way, beat my counterpart in this realm of like performance in this quarter of the sec. So like that element of like pulling from aggression, pulling from anger, pulling from some, pulling from shadow in order to like, in order to like achieve accomplish or like venture or like, or like a like, uh, endeavor for things within fitness or just when you're exploring your movement and scoring like maybe like leslie was saying that torque spin you like i've seen dancers in the studio go for like a, or even going for like a, a barrel like a jump a barrel jump and you go for it and like it flops and you try like you're in the studio for like an hour and a half and you're like and so you're sitting there on your foot but you're having to channel something from deep in you to like to like, like, it's almost like a drink. Like you take a drink of like Gatorade, a drink of, you take a drink from your, from the well of your soul, from this place of the shadow to like folk, to like 
draw energy, to focus, to, to, cause it can, it can push you to something that maybe you wouldn't possibly be able to push to without like a level of aggression or hostility or, or, or motivation or, or, or like, I don't know, but that, that that's kind of what I mean by like integrating the shadow. So like, what is, fitness taught you about shadow what fitness taught you about the integration what fitness taught you about the relation between you like and this, like that relationship between fitness and the shadow like what have you learned developed stumbled upon been enlightened about realized through like your endeavors with fitness what has it taught you about the shadow and the integration of the shadow that's like a couple of things that are coming to mind for me when you talk about that is um maybe it's leaning more toward how do you integrate I think that people can do, I think you can train some of that. And maybe train isn't the best word. It's more like most people can learn to, to do stuff like, like Kevin goes to that place and he's learned how to go from, you can't wake up one morning and decide I'm gonna do something that requires a lot of exertion and I'm gonna go to 100. I've never done it before, but I'm gonna go to one. It's like, there is a journey of, um, like if you, if you can't go to 50, you can't go to a hundred. Um, and then the, the other thing actually that's really cool about that is, um, there is like an objective way to measure all that. And then a subjective, like I can work as hard as I can work. And that's my personal 100%. But what if my capacity, like if my capacity is this high, when I work at hundred percent, it means I'm right there. But what if I grew my capacity to here. Then when I work at 100%, I'm up here. So someone could work at their 100% and be like right here. And someone else could have a capacity that's up here. And does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. so you're saying like the second person who their they're 100% might be above, they might not be going to 100%, but they might be performing at the same capacity as the guy who is lower, but at 100%. Yeah, that's true. Like, like, may, like let's just, I'm, this is kind of dumb, but let's just talk about push-ups. Or let's talk about running. Yeah. We're gonna run, we're gonna run from my front door to the to the stop sign. And if I if let's say I'm a great sprinter and I got this guy over here who never runs. And um, you know, he might be like, let's say he's, he's overweight and he's older, so he just can't run. He can kind of jog and shuffle. So him running at his 100 percent it's a shuffle to the stop sign. And me running at my 20% looks really fast. So I, I, I cream him running at 20%. So I, I'm saying that to say that um, when you talk about like going to that place and can you integrate your, like, could you bring aggression into something? Part, part of it is training. I know this is like a maybe too practical of an answer, but part of it is training. Like someone has first you develop a, a if you walk into the gym and your capacity is right here, um, there are things you can do to train your capacity to go to here. And people always think they're at 100% of their capacity way before they're at 100% of their capacity because you enter a, like, you guys, this probably will make sense to you from like your, your fields, but there's a big difference between working at um, 90% of your capacity and 95% of your capacity. And there's like a big difference, like it, like, it's like the screws start to rattle, you know, like there's a difference between driving the minivan at, at 90 miles an hour and 95, like at 90, it's fast and it's fun. Yeah. At 95, you're like, I think this is dangerous. 
um, the door is going to fly off. The, the wheel shaking. The st- yeah. yeah. But you're, you can put your body through something like that. You can put your mind through something like that. But it's a, it's a big difference going from 90 to 95%. But you don't, it, it doesn't happen. Um... David, I'm so sorry. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. This is this is what I mean. The psychologist who taught who taught me about integrating the shadow, he said, "Think about when, back when there weren't like walled civilizations. And you lived in a village, and the and and there was war between tribes. Like someone had to become the warriors in the village." And he goes, he basically said, "A good person isn't a good person just because they act like a good person. A good person is someone who's capable of evil and does what's right anyway." So in war, like, like me, I'm, uh, sometime in my career, I'm going to be put in a hostile environment and I'm going to be a part of a kill chain. There are people in my career field who come back from that and snap mentally and can't, and can't deal anymore. They go to a psychologist, they get put out of the career field. So the guy, the, psych- the psychologist was saying, he was speaking specifically. He was like, hey, when it comes to the shadow, become a monster. Become a monster, become capable of evil and very hostile and violent and dangerous things. Be someone who's capable of very dangerous and violent things and then protect people. Don't exert violence on people. Don't hurt people. Don't exploit people. Be that person so that when chaos or evil or danger or when, or when anything approaches the ones you love in a violent way, whether it's mental fortitude, emotional fortitude, like maybe, you're, maybe, you're, maybe your wife gets cancer and it's like... You, I don't care if you're a man or a woman who's married to another woman. You can't be a sissy if your wife gets cancer. You better draw from you, you mentally. You better have gotten to a place of becoming a monster because life is the bottom has come out and life is going to devour you. And if there's any part of you that's a sissy or a weak, a weakling or like just a pathetic piece of like excuse for flesh, life is going to devour and consume. So what I what I, what I to, to explain the integrating the shadow is like this idea of letting that football player, letting that athlete, letting that person become a monster however you want to depict monster me is like capable of violent things aggressive things hostile things unspeakable things becoming capable of those things like you know you i i know i can a criminal like kids in inner city chicago they become monsters they can a, a, a child soldiers in africa can put a gun to someone's head and pull a trigger and it's like a blank stare on their face kids in chicago i can put a gun to your head i can kill your mo- i'll walk into your house and shoot your mo- become a monster well be, be, become a monster so that you're capable so that when, like so you're capable of evil you're capable of, of really violent violent bad scary things and then protect people so that the only time you have to actually be a monster is like another tribe walks up to your city and goes hey like we're gonna steal everything we're gonna burn it we're gonna kill all the men we're gonna rape all the women we're gonna steal all the children and we're leaving in that moment you don't need like the political people like if a bunch of savages walked up to the tri- tribe and village you don't need a bunch of like interlocutors and politicians like if these guys can't be reasoned with you need monsters you need people who are going to come to the edge of the city and go hey um we know you guys because you've done this to other villages before you've come in you burned everything you killed the men you raped the women you stole the children and the women um so we know what you're about we know you were coming and so we have guys who are also monsters and they're going to deal with you like they're going to come to the wall the gate of the city now and you're going to deal with them and that's why this that's why our village has been so that and when i say integration of shadow like that idea of like having to allow something into David Choi's active mind that he, it's like letting, letting Pandora's box open, letting, letting the animal, letting the thing out of the box to play in your mind 
because it needs the thing to- that is the thing that is already there subconsciously but yes. you repress due to socialization or shame of foregrounding that as part of your identity there's like a baby snake and as you get older it grows into a dragon and you can either repress it or when from the time it's a snake you can like take the lid off and like you learn how to interact and play with it and it learns to like your playground and you sit there and you go like you could overtake me or I could integrate with you. And like, when like someone in my family gets cancer or when like something happens about like Vince gets punched in the chest, <laughs> things happen. Or I get not bring up my back. trauma. I get punched in the back or like, I got to go do something in war or someone ha- or like if you're right now in Brazil and, and unreached tribes, unreached people groups in Africa or Brazil or, or guy, like whatever. And the, and the tribes, people come to your tribe to like burn everything, steal, rape the women, take the children. It's like, yeah, I've been letting the snake out of the box and turn into a dragon since like I was age five and now I'm like 30. And I'm so trained in war and skilled in war. I could like, so yeah, let, let's let's do this. Cause I've like, I've not just hidden that, this repressed thing. I've not repressed in my whole, like that idea. Like how has fitness taught you about that element of not repressing that thing that society can, American Western society teaches us to repress and letting it out. Cause I, there's moments where like in the Fort or the YMCA gym, you come and I won't, I won't repeat what you said, but I was in the last set of like pull-ups and you would come to me and you would like, that thing you were talking about you would lead you would kneel over and you would whisper things in my ear that like i'm like oh this is like i'm getting like top tier nothings like the top tier of patreon where like things i can get david canceled he would never say this because he can't say this because like we go to a church david whispered things in my ear that i was like oh god <laughs> but like and i knew i was like oh david has tapped into his shadow because any sissy christian would have been like the cheerleader come on kev like you and I, I, I spent the whole internship around those people. But with David, it was like... Define those people in which it, internship? It was, with, with David, it was like, with David... <laughs> not you. With David, it was like a, oh, like, no, no, no. David, whatever that is that society teaches you to repress, David has let it out of the box. And I can see it coming out now. And he's like transferring energy. He's trying to, he's trying to transfer energy to me. And what's speaking to me is David, but it's a part of David that he only lets out in certain contexts and certain arenas and realms. And now it's coming out and I'm receiving a little bit of that energy. He's, he's trying to let me access some of the energy of that dragon that he has inside that he's not been repressing because clearly being in this realm of fitness, he has learned to like let it out and integrate it. You know, the, the strong, there's, there's a gym in America. It's in Ohio. It's called Westside Barbell. And you, you might even see people wearing a t-shirt. They haven't been there. And if they tell you they're doing West Side training, they're not. Um, but it's at, at one point in time, and it may be still now, they have the most world records um, for American powerlifting out of that one little gym. And this one little gym is run by this old guy who, um, who himself was a world record holder in powerlifting. Powerlifting, like those are the guys, those huge like necks and all they do is pull a heavy barbell off the ground, press a hard, heavy barbell off their chest, and then squat. With the, so they just get really freakishly strong. Um, so when people think about, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but those, there's, um, you've probably seen failed videos of guys who, who deadlift. So they pick a heavy barbell off the ground, and they're, they're shaking at the top, and then they pass out. Like, to, yeah. those are people, I, I mean, that one, it's one lift. You're pulling, a, you're putting your hands on a barbell and then just standing up with it. But they got to tap into some aggression. You can lift something really heavy off the ground without being aggressive. And you can lift something really heavy off the ground a bunch of times without being aggressive. Mm. But if you're doing a one rep max 
and you're a trained powerlifter, you, you've built your capacity up so high that your body can tolerate so much stress and so much load that when you go for a true one rep max, that is like all, that's like the screws are coming loose on the minivan. You're not driving at 90 miles an hour, you're driving at 95 and then 96 and then 97 is when every, you just disintegrate. Mm. Um, so those are people who like, people would say like, that guy is a monster. And those are the guys who, when they go, you, have you seen the rushing game where you like, you, you like just slap people in, in the face, like how intense they get. You, it's just last man standing. You just take turns slapping each other. You like line up and then. Yep. Like it's, it's crazy. That's how you'll reestablish your dominance in the Troy clan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Johnny, I'm going to say if, if, if our followers can get us to a hundred Instagram followers, Kevin, Leslie and I will play that game oh, um, on yeah. video. Nice. <laughs> but we have to get 100 followers in the next week. 100 followers in the next week of when this is uploaded. Nice. So those dudes, those dudes are monsters. Mm. And Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell, they they only want monsters at their gym. If you if you train with them, this is the thing. Um, it's like it's like a little like dirty hole in the wall type of place. Um, it's, they don't charge a membership. It's just Louis Simmons and his crew. They just want to be the strongest men in the world. So, um, they invite you to come train at that gym with them. If they think you can be a world record holder. And so it's invitation only. And if you're invited to train with them, like you don't pay a gym at like, I, I don't know how they make money if they all have like a little day job on the side. And then, um, but, uh, they only accept monsters. And they have this, those dudes, Louis Simmons is famous for like breaking his back a million times. These are guys who have like torn pec muscles in half and, and have gone, gone to places where like the best of medical care just said, dude, there's nothing we can do. You will never use your right arm again. And they refuse to accept it. So they go back in because they want to be the strongest guys in the world. And I mean, Louis Simmons one time had some sort of procedure happening, a horrific accident in the gym. And I mean, you think about someone who's pressing something like his capacity is up there and he's going to go like drive the minivan at 96 miles an hour. Like imagine the type of stuff you do to your body. So when they have accidents, it's like freakish, like, you know, we're talking like femur snapping and that type of horrific stuff. He was back in the gym under excruciating pain popping uh, stitches out of his body, bleeding, because he just said, I have, I, I will train. Um, I, I mean, they did crazy. So those guys are monsters, but here's, here's the reason I bring up that story. They are monsters, but they train to be monsters. And none of those guys was born able to lift a thousand pounds. And like one day they had to go in and learn how to do a deadlift and like even how to put their body in the right position, you know? So one day they weren't a monster and day two, they just showed up again. And day three, they still weren't a monster. And then year three, they still weren't a monster. And you're like, they, so hey, I but know. By monster, do you mean, do you mean someone who has integrated the shadow in order to be able to do that kind of like to, in order to be able to go pop stitches out of your chest, kind of destroying your body just to like, what do you mean by, well, how are you using the word monster here? Mm. 
Louis Simmons says, learn to love hard things. And, and those guys train so hard, they become like, they're known as the best powerlifting gym, at least in America, America. yeah. Um, so that mentality of we, I, I, I am not just surviving here and I'm not just showing up to do tough work. I love hard things. I love the fight. I want to get punched in the face. I like Matt Fraser is the, is the guy who won the CrossFit games. I think five, yeah, five years in a row. Yep. So total sport dominance. Um, there's a video clip of him saying, um, no, I, I hope speaking to his competitors, I, I hope you have a great day at the games. I, I want this to hurt. I, I want it to be a fight. I hope you perform the best you've ever performed in your life because I've been training for this and I don't want it to be easy. Um, though that's like the monster that like, I've got some aggression. I'm not just surviving. I'm not trying to get by. I, I love the taste of blood. And I mean, so, but, but Louis Simmons will say, you have to learn how to love hard things. And those are got, none of us want to sit down and have a conversation with anyone at Westside Barbell. They're like, they're jerks. They don't care about anyone. They don't care. Like they all, they don't have any good relationships. Like all, all they do is I'll be the strongest bench press <laughs> in the world. But they, so I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that you just decide there's a way I can, I've got this aggression inside of me. I got this shadow side and, um, well, I, well, I'm speaking about training because that's what you said we're talking about. So when it comes to fitness and when it comes to physical performance, I I think that sh- whatever that shadow thing is, I think it can come out, but it's a learning process. Mm. Um, so if you show up in the gym and used to kill it in college and now you want to relive the glory days, like, I mean, it's just, you got to, you got to train. Um you learn how to do that. And, and like Louis Simmons will say, you actually have to, it's a learning, that, that's why I talked about maturity earlier. Because maturity is what can help you learn to love hard things. Mm-hmm. And when you learn to love the hard thing, instead of like, I, God, I hate this thing. This sucks, it hurts so bad. Like you're not bringing, you're not integrating your shadow side. Like your shadow side, like the, the workout is beating you, but you gotta go into something like, I'm, I, yeah. And, and I, I'm not saying I do that. I, I, that's a goal. Some, sometimes it's definitely not a goal every single day because you can't do that every single day. No, for sure. Um, I'll really quick. Cause I know we're hitting time. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, uh, Kevin and David, your thoughts and you, Leslie, but also like how it applies in fitness. So when Kevin mentioned the shadow to me, my brain first went to like the idea of being in a state of flow, mainly as it applies to dance. Um, so I'm curious if there's something analogous in fitness uh, and to give context, there's like a few different things informed, um, which is why I love this conversation. Cause there's, these are things that have been on my mind a lot. Uh, but I told Kevin and Leslie, I've been really trying to conceptualize um, how, what's the opposite of dissociating from your body. Like I realized that the past few years I've unfortunately conditioned myself to dissociate greatly. And I think there's a lot of, mental and physical health implications of that. Um, And then also I thought of what Leslie already said, the theme of season two, where words aren't the language of thought. Um, And I I was thinking even deeper when it comes to like this idea of the shadow or something that's your subconscious identity um, is that it's something that's beneath conscious and emotion. So this is purely like 
the physical. Um, and as the physical underpinnings give rise to your conscious thought, something is lost in translation, which is then again lost in translation as your thought goes to your verbal expression, um, if, if that makes sense. So that's, that's what I thought about because in dance, uh, the beautiful state of flow is this place where you're dancing, maybe you're taking a class or you're performing something, um, and your conscious shuts off, your emotions shut off, but you're in the state of like physiological flow. And I think it actually really speaks to like the idea of the shadow, because in this state, um, all these like repressed identities don't have to fight against your ego. So you're just dancing. And in that state, things that, things that surface are, um, I like, I, I love a good aggressive piece. I'm not that aggressive of a person, but I think there's that repressed aggression that I get to flow out. Um, uh, you mentioned like sexuality. I think there is also, uh, like Carl Jung talks about the animus and anima where yeah. you have repressed sense of the opposite gender in your identity, but because of how you're socialized, you don't express that. I think that comes out often in dance. Um, I think for me, like all times, like certain types of vulnerabilities that I don't express verbally, I'm able to flow out when I dance. Um, so that's where my mind went. Um, and I'm curious in like the context of other types of fitness or just in general, what, like if that provokes any thought, like what does a state of flow look like for y'all? And is that something that you feel like is a, a state where you're able to really, you know, get out those different pieces of what you're feeling that might be repressed or your identity that might be repressed? I, I can remember a few events just because I, I did CrossFit. And so like there are, there are events. And so you can like remember specific workouts because it was an event. I, I can remember a, a couple where I remember being in it and realizing, excuse me, I realized I, like just for a split second, it maybe happened right after, but I realized I had kind of been in flow. Like it was, yeah, no, it was really cool feelings. Um, like not, a, not really aware of other people, but like listening to like, I kind of knew, you know, what happens is um, like, let's say I, I know that I'm going to be doing a certain, like, you know, hey, it's it's 10 handstand pushups, 15 wall balls, and then three power cleans. I'm going to go through this little circuit for whatever it is, eight minutes, 18 minutes. And, and based on the weight and how heavy things are, and the amount of time you have to do it, you kind of can, you get into this groove. Like if you start out going as fast as you can in the first minute, then you're, you'll like crash, right? And, but you don't want to start so slow that you're like, by the time you end, you're like, oh, I can, I'm good for another 10 minutes. So it's like finding that, um, the state where you're like, I, I will work just as fast and just as hard as I can sustain for the five rounds of this event lasts or the 18 minutes. And if I work under that, I'll finish and I'll feel like I left something on the table. Yeah. But if I work over it, I'll crash and burn. I'm not gonna perform to my capacity. So it's kind of, I mean, I guess it's like what it would be like to run a marathon, pacing. Like you can yeah. sprint the first mile, but you can't walk. You, you know your pace. Um, if I remember a few, when you get pace right, you feel that flow. And it's, I, I can remember times when I thought, this is amazing. Like I'm hurting just the right amount of hurt and I'm like having fun and like, I'm loving it, but I'm competing, but it's like, I'm not even competing anymore. I'm like just 
loving the like I found it it's really cool um but I I don't know how to I, I'll, I'll say this you, I don't think you can get flow when you're afraid of something and um because so much of my experience was working with adults um who were kind of taking a first step into their journey of fitness it means a, a lot of people they were the competitive athletes and it was a lot of fun to, to work with them i actually most like working with people who are brand new to like mm. fitness. that was a new thing because they they walk into the gym and they drag their bodies with them and they're and sometimes literally people wear like really loose clothes and if that's your style that's one thing but some people the reason it's their style is they hate their body they really do um and, and they can't bear like anything that reminds them or other people that they have a body they like they gotta avoid that and the other thing is they were the kids who in school someone took like their like that first question we talked about which was about like our early fitness experiences you know some some of the some adults their first experiences were being the last one to get picked and so they always associate from then on anything that has to do with physical performance, I don't have value to offer. And I know that sounds like you're getting all ooey gooey, but like that shapes how people, that's how people decide uh, like I'm someone who maybe I'm smart and so I can think about stuff, but I've got a dumb body. My body is stupid and it's ugly and it doesn't work well. And so they go into a gym and, and the reason they're at the gym is because they need to fix their broken body but it's not really theirs and they, and it's dumb. So they have to go pay a professional to tell them do three, three sets of 10. And they're, and that's why so many personal, I'm going to sound like I'm hating on the field of personal training, but that's why so much of it's, I'll go and hate on it. That's why so much of it's a scam because someone who just read the blog post on fitness.com and they paid 600 bucks and got their certificate from ACE or whatever, they're going to go tell someone do three sets of 10. And, and what they're doing isn't in promoting that person's maturity. They're increasing that person's immaturity because that person thinks their body's stupid. And to make this thing do stuff, I go pay a professional to tell me to do three sets of 10. And the whole time they're doing it, they're asking the coach like, or looking in the mirror like, am I doing this right? Are you doing it the right way? What, what are you talking about? Who, who decided there's a law about the right way to squat? And people, now, there are optimal ways to squat for particular goals. That's true. But no one tells a baby, like babies do that full bottomless, bottomless, or bottom hey. out squat. That is our clip. Our intro clip hey. is baby bottomless. <laughs> the bottomless squat. You know, they just squat. It's their body and they want to rest. So they squat. Like, so, anyways, I, you can't get into flow if you walk into the gym and you're afraid that your body's stupid and you're worried about, are you doing it right? So that's why I think when we work with people, whether it's dance or fitness or exercise, like you, you have to help people become mature. And if you create a relationship with someone where they are looking to you to tell them the answers about how to move their body, like they will always associate all physical performance with the right way and the wrong way. And since I'm not the professional, I don't get to decide what the right way is. So I find someone else to tell me, here's the right way to move. Here's the right way to do this thing. No, turn out just a little bit. And I mean, I was a coach. So yes, you coach people. I'm not saying you don't do that, but um, those people can't, how can they ever enter a state of flow? Because their mind is never on, I'm not just my body moving. I'm wondering like, are they thinking I'm stupid right now? 
and am I making myself look stupid right now? And is someone else going to see my flab peek out because my shirt's going to, you know, like all, all that. There's no way you can enter flow if you're worried that someone's going to see your flabby tummy or that you're wondering if your coach approves. And so it, it actually, it really upsets me when coaches, amateur coaches emphasize technique instead of helping someone get comfortable in their body. And, and they think they're, and they really think they're helping. And, and honestly, the, the client sometimes feels like they're being helped because they think, oh, that person knows so much about how to move the right way. I'm going to walk out of here knowing all this stuff, but they still walk out of there thinking this body's kind of broken. It's kind of stupid. And I've got like, you know, so I think flow means you can't be afraid, which means the rule is if you're going to, if you're going to do this, some sort of fitness thing, as soon as possible, after someone walks in the gym, they should be moving without self-censorship. If you always self-censor mm -hmm. when you move, like how will you ever get into flow? Yeah. Now, once you're okay, like, like, I think the four of us, because of our athletic backgrounds, none of I think we're cool with our bodies and like, yeah. like if I want to go learn how to do some sort of bodybuilding exercise that Kevin's been doing and he's like, Hey, if you, if you angle it this way, you'll hit this part of the muscle. Like, I don't know how to do that. So I don't feel stupid if I, because of my, I'm comfortable in my body. So I'm going to be like, Hey, Kev, can you tell me the way to do this for this goal? That's different than you. That's different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think flow means you can't be afraid, but you make people more afraid by promoting that same type of the professional, the guy who knows he's going to tell me how to make this thing that I brought in with me, my body. Yeah. Yeah. So many dance applications of that when it comes to teaching dance. Love that. What exactly was the, okay, so I understand the question of integrating the shadow into, but what was your extension of it, Vincent, that David was answering? Um, just my brain in general went to this idea of flow and being in a oh, place flow, of flow right. when I dance. Yeah. Um, Which I can, again, if you just look at the picture as like, there's like this panel on the floor, you can like a door to the basement and you pull it up and there's like different entities and that, that the, the house is like you. And so like, there's like a panel on the floor and what's in like the first floor of the house and the second, third floor is like conscious you represent like, and then the basement is like subconscious you like sometimes like literally the subconscious of things you aren't actually able, like, it's not like sub like subconscious is the place where dreams come from. Like you can't say, I'm going to dream tonight about giraffes. Like, no, you go to sleep and like, you see this, like you see a, a woman who looked like she was bathed in flaming hot Cheetos, split a dragon in half on Lovecraft country. Cause Vince told you to watch a weird Netflix. Anyway, like, ah! <laughs> you dream about something really weird and you're like, where the, and that's the sub, like the subconscious is the subconscious because like it, it, it will not be piloted by you. It will not be controlled by you. Um, I think in theory, ego is the thing that filters the subconscious up into that house. And I, you know, more Carl than I do. This is my very, no, it, it, it makes sense. understanding. And, and you're, and you're right that for, for that very reason, the ego, the ego is always on the, the, the steering wheel is always piloting in the pilot seat. And so I think those are two very different ideas of integrating of the shadow and the subconscious lives. I mean, not the sub, the shadow lives in the realm of the subconscious, but there's something in there that like that flow state thing. It's like you open the panel and not the shadow. Something does come out because like David was saying, you can't be afraid. And the ego does primarily one of its main motivations is fear. 
And so once you like get into a dance class and you just like have, you have no inhibition, you're going through the piece or you go into a gym and you're in a flow, like when you're in flow state, it's like you, it's like you found a way and artists are good for this, but like fitness support, it's like you found a way to like click the lock on the panel and you walk away and the flow thing, the flow entity comes out and hops into the pilot seat and like kicks the fucking ego out of the seat and is like, I'm driving now and let's, and that's kind of like with the, like the shadow is almost like you have to like, it's almost like you have to participate with, and it's very weird, but I, I do think they're two very separate ideas, but I do think they both, the shadow and this flow state thing exist in the state of the sub, in the, uh, of the, um, of the, of the subconscious mind. And like, it, it's not just something like, like I, like right now, Leslie, I, I, at least for me, I can't say I'm going to write a poem. And for the entirety of the five minutes that I'm writing this poem, I'm going to be in flow state and go, like, no, like, Sometimes you're writing a poem and I'm writing for 25 minutes. And then like the last, like I, I look up and like two hours went by and like, I'm, I'm like emotionally exhausted. And I'm in t- like, this happened to me. Like I was reciting a poem that I wrote f- four or five years ago. And I got to the last like stanza. And I, as I'm saying the words, I'm like gutturally crying. And it was like this flow state thing that just like, it's, it's something from the subconscious hopped out, took the steering wheel and the, like, it's almost like it, it tricks the ego out of its seat. And the ego takes the back seat. Like it, there's no, there's no choice in that. The flow just comes out, takes the steering wheel, and it's like I'm driving now. Um, and so this flow thing and this shadow thing, they, the, the, the relationship between the two is that they do exist in the subconscious, and you can't, they will not be petitioned. Some they will, they, they will not be. They're like they're literally like a dragon. You will not summon the flow. You will not summon the shadow. They will come out as they please. They will participate on their time, on their terms, when they want to, and you just get to you get to be a part of the process. But so I think they're very different, but they do in the way that you were presenting it, I think they do exist in the same realm of the subconscious. At least that's how I, that's, that's the way I relate to those, those two ideas and how I've experienced them in my artistic endeavors and my fitness endeavors. So my thought in relation to shadow self and flow state is that I think they both relate to one image I arrived at at the end of last year and have been like continuing to mull on this year which I have thought a lot to David's earlier question about like philosophies of movement which I haven't actually read but and then Vincent adding on that he feels like that is artistry and that's what he's missing so often when it's all just focused on like what gets you booked I 100% agree with both like the fact that you would think of philosophy of movement and then what Vincent said about it And where I'm at with my personal one right now is that I think of dance, but dance only being like a far end of the spectrum of just the basic fact that we are carrying around selves in a physical container. So, you know, lesser far on the spectrum would just be body language and how somebody walks and how they sit and all these things. It's all one spectrum to me. Um, But it's, it's the idea of water has been helpful for me. So like, the idea of for integration, like when you dance, I would think of it like you're sloshing water around inside of your container. And obviously if you're dancing in certain rhythms or you're making certain movements, the water falls in different ways and sloshes in different ways, right? And so you're, you have the same what's in there, but you're able to hear it and feel it in different ways. You know, because like if you, you know, have this and you're only ever thinking about talking or listening as expression and like understanding i i view talking in this metaphor as like you 
let the water out so it splashes on somebody and they feel it or like the water hits you but like movement like yeah it's the same material but now there's bubbles or like it's here and it's like oh this part is suddenly doesn't have water in it it you know that's how i would think of it like so it lets you feel the same stuff in different ways so that to me goes in the idea of like integration of the shadow self where it's like and maybe it's just for me I do honestly feel like from a very young age I had a lot more integration of that like it's even hard for me to really conceptualize this idea of I definitely have stuff I've repressed for sure but like it's hard for me to think of this totally separate thing the way you're describing it it's more like already often been integrated throughout life but it's just that like until I move like no amount of talking will ever let me feel this, you know, just, yeah. yeah. So there's that. And then as far as a flow state, I think that it's when you can really listen and like when the most you can hear like the rushing water, like in yourself, or if you're like watching somebody else. And again, they don't have to be dancing, but like hearing how the water sloshes around what's being communicated just by somebody's physical being holding what's in here. And so then like dance is the easiest one, but you know, like you can watch somebody dance or you can also like listen to what's sloshing around in there. Right. And oh, like yeah. see how it's being moved. So like to Vincent's point of like, he doesn't feel like he's an aggressive person, but like maybe he likes aggressive choreo. It's like, you can watch that and be like, Ooh, I just love how like hard hitting it is. Or you can, I think, listen and see like, what type of water is sloshing in, in Vincent doing this choreography versus Kevin doing this choreography versus, you know, Leslie or David. David doing it. Yeah, yeah David. <laughs> so like there's that for, for, you know, them and then also listening for yourself. And I would probably say the peak flow state for me um, to David's point about there having to not be fear is when you not only can listen but like you basically allow the water to like, it's not just you sloshing it around and being aware, but you start to let it like, mm. once you build up a certain amount of momentum oh. to Kevin's point about like, you can't like create it. It's like, once you build up, it's like the water, think about it, like just practically, it will, it will just still keep moving after you move. And then if you start to react, it's like, okay, well I did this. And then I stopped and like, but then the water keeps doing that. But then if you like allow, then you follow it instead of it following you. I think that's the optimal flow state because it's like, it is, it's, it's a similar way to what Kevin was saying about the ego taking a back seat and like basically just letting, okay, I've shaken things up a little bit. Now what happens and how do I follow that um, in a more intuitive way? No, 1000% agree. Sponsored by Ocean Organic Vodka. vodka not, can... not, they did not pay <laughs> us. <laughs> they did not pay us. Yeah. Um, Vince, you want to close this out? Um, I don't know if I have any good closing thoughts. I know David really wanted to close us out with a joke, so I don't know. I don't want to like rob him of that opportunity. I, I know he was hoping I forgot, but I never forget. Damn. I've got my, this is my all-time favorite cheesy joke. So I heard this uh -oh. like when I was a kid, and it's it's just a, it's like a one-liner cheesy joke, but this is my all-time favorite cheesy joke. I'm stressed. Okay. Or do I do I share it now, or do we have some sort of like, are we entering the new segment of the, of the podcast? Yeah, you just need to enter a good state of flow and just speak your joke, let just it let out. it out. I usually, yeah, I enter flow. I have 
I have uh, an interpretive dance I do. So I'll, because words are not the language of thought, I'm going to dance my favorite cheesy joke. <laughs> now the punchline is going to be awkward to deliver. So um, I have to, uh, okay, no, here it is. Um, so what's, here's the joke. What's brown and sticky? Thick. Right, right, rice? Leslie. Uh... <laughs> yes, oh, oh my God. Wait, I'm sorry. I feel like isn't I've that, heard that, that awesome that? too many times. I'm sorry. I, I, I love that one. Wow. Leslie. Oh, I love her that. answer though, Kevin. Rice, that is beautiful. <laughs> Brown and sticky. Remind me if I ever become a comedian to never run my material by Leslie and let, let her be front row in my show. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll be shouting the punchline. <laughs> we need to now, we need to like dance out what just happened. Leslie and I will. That's, yeah, David's doing a solo unless he just David flails That's on what stage. happens when you're not in flow. <laughs> oh God! And that is season two, episode <laughs> three of the Bottomless Podcast. Um, we want to give a David. Thank you. I'm not going to talk in third person or talk to you like you're not here, David. Thank you for joining us and thank you for giving us so much of your time uh, beyond yeah. what we asked of you. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone who tunes in this episode and takes the clips away from it is going to be greatly appreciative of, of the novelty of a new voice. So thank you uh, for everyone who listened, who tuned in, who watched, who even saw a, a part of a clip. Thank you. Uh, if you're interested in more, please subscribe. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Only all- fans, okay. It's all, all B-T-T-M-L-E-S-S podcast. Uh, and we're also streaming on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. And I believe some of the other major platforms, but the three major that everyone goes to anyway. So thank you for tuning in. Please subscribe if you're interested in more. David, thank you again for giving us of so much of your time. And we will see you guys next episode. Bottomless. 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 Bottomless.